air right now for Fanfare Racing Radio. It is Monday night, June the 12th, and we're here for our Sonoma NASCAR race review, along with our Hot Topic Sound Off, which will start uh, after we do our 90 minutes of review. We have Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fanfare Racing crew. So uh, just to give you an overview of uh, what we're going to cover here, in the first half hour, we are going to start with the latest short track news. Then we review the ARCA West Series race at Sonoma Raceway. We'll include in that a uh, ARCA Menard Series and ARCA East Series update. In the next half hour, uh, we're going to comment on the media interview with the NASCAR Xfinity Series winner, Eric Almarola, driver of the number 28 Ford for RSS Racing this weekend out at Sonoma. And afterward, we will review the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Sonoma along with a brief update on the NASCAR Truck Series. In our third half hour, we have a guest, Cole Raz, joins us from Jefferson Racing. He's the driver of the number 63 Super Late Model for Rupinski Racing, and he's going to join the conversation with us and talk about his victory at Wenatchee, Wenatchee uh, 200. So then afterward, we will review the NASCAR Cup Series race out at Sonoma. And then, of course, uh, at the top of that hour, we will end the episode with our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with the Fan for Racing crew. And it looks like we're going to have a full house tonight with Mike, Andy, and Jay all joining us for Hot Topic Sound Off. So uh, Sal Segala, our co-host for tonight, should be joining us here shortly. Uh, the start of the show coincides with his time uh, that he gets home so I'm expecting to hear from him uh, very shortly here, uh, and he should be on. Uh, so until he gets here, I'm going to go ahead and start with uh, some of the short track news, starting at Racing America. Uh, and just to uh, uh, give you some ideas here, Jet Storm Racing uh, for more at Milwaukee Mile Glory. So uh, come Sunday at the Milwaukee Mile, Jeff Storm will be competing against drivers who weren't even born yet when he won at the Milwaukee Mile. So you can read all about that over at uh, Racing America. Sounds like a good story. And then um, coming up this weekend, the golf course doubleheader pro late models will be taking place. And the Bernhagen Edges Gutnick for the fourth straight Slinger win out of Slinger Speedway. So uh, another must-read for fans of short track racing. Uh, Joining me now is our co-host for tonight, and that is Sal Segala. Welcome to the show, Sal. Oh, good evening, Sharon. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I do want to move over to Flow Racing now. I've already covered some things over there at uh, Racing America, but one of the big things I want to make sure we talk about tonight, uh, Sal, is Jonathan Davenport checks off another box at Eldora Speedway. He won the dirt race out there. We've been talking about it leading up to the dirt late model dream, the 29th dirt late model dream, and what a big win for Jonathan Davenport. Oh, yeah, there it is right there. Oh, yeah, you can see the fire on his, behind his head right there. 
Yeah, yes, yes, indeed. Congratulations. Yes, yeah, a was, big uh, congratulations. So you can read all about yeah. that uh, over at Flow Racing. Uh, anything else you want to bring up, Sal? Yeah, we had our um, this past weekend. We had our uh, our um, weekly show at Irondale Speedway. So we had we ran two uh, uh, twin late models, two twin late model races along with the rest of the program. So uh, uh, congratulations to Trevor Huddleston on an, on another win um, after having such bad luck at the uh, at, at Sonoma on Friday. He came back and raced Saturday night at Irondale, and then Minnie White picked up another win in uh, in the second race. So uh, congrats well, congratulations. To both drivers that's fantastic yeah also ryan tims bags a usac indiana midget win and that was at lawrenceburg speedway this weekend so uh, a big win for ryan tims and congratulations to him as well yeah then what else do we have here uh uh chris madden picked up a uh, second place Finished second again in Eldora in the uh, in the dirt dirt late model dream. Um, so uh, I wonder why they. So he finished. Jonathan Davenport. No, yeah, no, not to say Chris Madden finished second behind behind uh, Davenport. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Also, Danny Dietrich delivers in Ohio Sprint. Speedway thriller at Fremont in Fremont, Ohio. So Double D, Danny Dietrich, finds his way to the Buckeye State and every year for the Ohio Sprint Speed Week. And uh, he was able to uh, deliver a victory. So congratulations to Danny Dietrich. Yeah, congratulations on that. And uh, I was just looking through the uh through the finishing order of the dirt late model dream to see if there's any any things that might have you know caught our eye or, or popped up but not really much just the normal uh the normal uh drivers you know they're racing it um tim mccready finishing 21st who i know a lot of the dirt the dirt fans know and uh nick hoffman picked up a 13th and um let me see bobby pierce picked up a third and ricky thornton jr picked up a Illinois driver. Oh. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of uh a lot I know, of uh, uh, Jay is a big fan of Mike Marler. He finished eleventh. So it's good to see him get uh, a decent finish. Yeah, those are all those are all people out of your neck of the woods. Mhm. You know, so uh, way, yeah. So. That's good. That's that was a, good a that was a good uh yeah, it was a good a good race to watch if you have Flow T V to see the, the dirt late models. Uh it was a big race and um congrats to all the to all the uh finishers and all that. Yeah, there's a yes. lot of uh coverage on that race. Yes, there was a lot of coverage on that race. It's always a big one that fans Look forward to year in and year out, and uh, I think a lot of NASCAR fans wish we would go back there uh, for a dirt race 
uh, at Eldora because they always enjoyed that race. Yeah, you know, it's, and, um, you know, you're getting mixed reviews on it. Um, some of the fans that went said that the, the track was, uh, you know, looks like it needs a little bit of, uh, a little bit of love, but I said, when you're racing that much dirt, I says, you know, it's, it's hard to keep a, you know, a track up, you know, and, and keep it going, uh-huh. you know. Um, you know, I know Tony's been real busy with uh, a lot with, of things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's busy with a lot of things, and, you know, and the fans got to kind of give him a break on that, you know, and, you know, just be glad he's still on the track open, you know, that he can find time, you know, to still run these these big events like that. Exactly. Uh, moving over to short track scene, Sal, Eric Jones claims an emotional money in the bank victory. How cool is that? That is the track where he says uh, uh, kind of it, it was an emotional victory because uh, his dad, uh, it was already a seven-year anniversary of the passing of his father, Dave, and he commemorated that legacy by returning to the place they frequently raced together, and that was Berlin Raceway. So uh, I'm sure that was a very emotional win for Eric Jones. Yeah, it was. He kind of he kind of ran away with that win. It was it was a good race. I watched the race on on uh, on um, Flow TV. Um, oh, good. I had a couple of drivers in there that I was watching, but um. He uh, he was he was by far the class of the field. Um, you know, it's good to see him. You know, get that win and uh, you know and and uh, you know just the uh, you know the domination and just uh, the um, how do you say it? just the talent that Eric has. You know, and to come back, you know, win the um, race. You know, and that's a track he's very uh, familiar with. So. Oh yeah. So Kyle Crump finished in second, followed by Bubba Pollard, Andrew Sheed. Gio Ruggiero comes home with the top five there. Sean Hingarani finished seventh. Brian Campbell yeah, it was, is that uh, like, you know, Jay or Sal? Nah, nah, he's no, he's just, uh, he's just a driver from from the back east out there. But um, like Derek I said, yeah, oh yeah, Derek Dean, yeah, the, the the spotter was out there. He he started dead last. He started in the twenty seventh spot and uh and uh moved all the way up to uh to 15. where he finished at where did he finish at fifteenth. Carson Holtomar yeah. finished twenty third. Mike Garvey, another one that's 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 an old old timer from out that way, uh-huh. you know, finished twenty fourth. But uh um, you know, you look up and that name. Yeah, Boris, Boris uh, uh, Yurkovic, if everyone can remember, a couple of years mm-hmm. ago he had a really bad wreck, and um, uh, it took him six, seven months of therapy to finally get back behind the wheel again. Wow, Derek Griffith, he raced yeah. in uh, the uh, uh, Arca West, I believe. Uh, he came home with the seventeenth, or maybe it was the Arca race. Yeah, Arca. Yeah, yeah he's he, an Arca driver. So very good to see uh, all of those names on that uh, list. And a big congratulations, Derek Jones, for getting that emotional victory. Any other stories over at Short Track Scene you want to highlight? Yeah, you know, I I was just looking at one other race 
and my ding. Uh, I went to check something out, and and I knocked myself out, so I'm going back to the right Well, there's a story here, uh, NASCAR wheel and modified tour dominance. Matt Hirschman sports his big money nickname in part because of the success he has experienced racing modifieds. Uh, Matt Hirschman should be a familiar name to listeners of our radio show. We mention him quite a lot. And uh, they did a nice feature about him over at Short Track Scene, if you want to read read up about that. Oh, yeah, there you go. I see that story right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then what else do we got here? Uh, um, there's a story about Bubba Pollard. You know, he's you know motivated to keep his momentum going. He's having a really good start to the season this year. Uh, Part of the SRL you know, National. Um, yeah, for the SRL National and, and everything else, you know, he's, um, you know, picked up that, uh, picked up a few wins already this year, you know, and um, and then now he's uh, he's on his way, you know, to the rest, to see how the rest of the season plays out. Um, yes. He's, I don't know, he, he's got, I don't know, 12, 15 snowball derby starts and has yet to win it. So I know at the end of the season he's going to be going after that, after, uh, after that big, uh, big win. Well, we've been talking about that race, Money in the Bank at Berlin Raceway. It's an unorthodox tire combination and racing features for super, featuring supers and pros. Uh, but there are so many different storylines that came out of that race. You can catch up with all of them uh, over at uh, Short Track Scene as well. And there's a section here, Understanding the Tires. Uh, that kind of gives you kind of an insight there from Matt Weaver. Yeah, we've had um, we've had a uh, tire tire specialist on the show a couple times. Um, Mike yes, Mike yeah. from out here to talk about the tires and and stuff like that. So I don't know. We might have to get him back on and see where we left off on that conversation and maybe pick up on it and and get some more um, insight on it. Absolutely. Okay, it's time for us to move over to the ARCA West at Sonoma Raceway uh, Review. What a race. That was an exciting race, too. Ryan Priest pretty much dominated the race. Uh, But I thought we saw some uh, fairly decent racing in that uh, event as well. He raced in order to get some experience on the track before racing uh, the Cup Series race, the Toyota Save Mart for the Cup Series. Uh, but it's also, he said, to avenge the heartbreaking defeat that he suffered in 2019 when the West Series uh, raced at the same track. So he definitely got his redemption this week. He got more than a redemption. He he put a he put a butt whooping out there on that on that field. Um, yes, he did. He I, actually. Nine seconds ahead of the second-place driver, who was Sammy Smith. It, it was an amazing uh, race for Ryan Priest. Yeah, it was. It was, it was an eventful race for a lot of drivers, to say the least. Um, but, yeah, I was able to watch it before I went out to Irondale to go watch the um, to go watch practice. And uh, I was like, man, there ain't, ain't nobody going to catch Ryan Priest. He was... He was in his own little world out there. 
Okay. Uh, Riley Earps and Jack Wood, they finished third and fourth behind uh, Sammy Smith and Ryan Priest. And then uh, also the championship points leader in the East, William Sobolich, finished fifth in his third West Series start, driving for Joe Gibbs Racing. So that was a big win for him. And then Sean Hingarani, Bradley Erickson, Todd Souza, Johnny Borneman third, and Ethan Nassimano rounded out the top ten. Uh, Landon Lewis, who entered the Sonoma race leading the West Series Championship point standings off of his victory last week at Portland, ended up finishing 19th. It was his first finish outside the top two this year. He's finished second, 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 and first. So this was the first finish uh, that wasn't first or second. Yeah, he was strong. He he uh he's had a strong start to the season this year and um you know, he's uh he's led a couple a couple of um victories, you know, uh get by him, but you know, it's his driving, you know, has really improved a lot, you know, as far as you know how how aggressive he is usually out on the track. And him and Sean have battled for, you know, the the two wins that Sean Hingarani has, him and Landon Lewis were battling for those wins, you know, and, and in, in the legend cars, those two were just tearing stuff up. They're just, there was no love lost in there, just crashing stuff, but it's good to see them when they get to the Arca series, you know, to have a little bit more respect for the, for themselves and for the equipment, you know, they race each other really super hard, but yet they race each other really clean. So, um, and just to give some you know, uh, insight on what happened with Landon Lewis, Eric Nascimento crashed, uh, and the championship leader, Landon Lewis, got collected in the aftermath. So that kind of messed up his day a little bit. And it was it messed yeah. up Eric's day as well. Yeah, it did. And, you know, and actually, uh, Eric's younger brother, Ethan, was celebrating his 16th birthday on oh my on, on on Friday. Because I forget they run the race on Friday, and uh, so he and he ended up with the with the tenth place finish. Uh, yeah, it was the second top ten result of, of 2023. So that is pretty cool. Uh, okay, there were six cautions, no red flags in the General Tire 200. You can watch a replay of the race. It'll be broadcast on CNBC on Sunday, June the 18th, starting at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I always encourage people, check your local listings for the exact starting time for where you live. And then after these back-to-back road course races last week at Portland and Friday at Sonoma, the West Series gets a lengthy break before returning to action. Uh, next on their schedule is the Napa Night Vision 150 that will take place Saturday, July the 1st, uh, the series' second of two visits to California's Irwindale Speedway this year. So that race will be shown on Flow Racing. It's scheduled to start at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, some more good racing on the docket here for the ARCA West. Yeah, it is, and it'll be neat because that'll be that the Night Vision 150 will be uh, it'll be another night of destruction for Irwindale Speedway, and uh, they always run the ARCA race first, and they have a night of destruction. Then they have a their we have we have fireworks show after every race. But, oh, cool. um, but this race, but this race, Tim said we're going to have a really huge, 
uh, fireworks show after the race. He said, so he goes to look for a really good, uh, a really good uh, uh, production for, you know, to celebrate the, the 4th of July. So, so I, I, know, always, I know for myself. Anywhere near the track, yeah. get out there to the track so you can enjoy all of that. Oh, yeah, especially the night of destruction. You're going to see a lot of crashing up stuff and, and uh, see some, you want to see stuff get torn up, blown up. They'll they'll burn a car down with a jet dragster, and uh, you got you got a crazy guy, um, Robert Rice Racing. They call him the his wife. They call him the Queen of Destruction, and Robert's called the the Master of Disaster or something like that. And that guy just you never know what he's going to bring out and what he's going to tear up, but you guarantee there's going to be fire, lots of fire. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to. Uh... Uh, look forward to that, and we'll have to get Tim or Trevor back on the show sometime soon, Jay, or Sal. I'm so sorry. Yeah, we will. I'll, I'll let him. I've, I've been talking to Tim. He just he keeps telling me, and then, then you know, things Something happen. So, I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get him on the show real quick, you know, real quick here. Well, let's go ahead and cover the series points reports for the ARCA West. Well, the series points, um, because of Sean's uh, bad finish at Portland, he 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 gave the lead. Oh no, he never had the lead. Yeah, no, he, he never had the lead. That's right. It's right. always been Landon Lewis, but but Landon Lewis's point lead is cut down to twelve now. So Landon Lewis is still leading the points with uh, two hundred fifty-five, and then second you got Sean Hingarani, uh with his two wins at two hundred forty-three, and then. Because of his bad finish, Bradley Erickson has made a jump in the points, and now Bradley's only two points behind um, behind Sean, sitting in third, and fourth is Tyler Rife, who's had two bad two bad road course uh, two bad road course um, uh, outings uh, finishes. Yeah, and uh, fifth is Trevor Huddleston. Sixth is Bill McAnally's only driver out there, Tanner Rife. Seventh is Kyle Keller. Eighth is Todd Sousa. Ninth is uh, David Smith and Takuma Kogu, who's had two, the last two races have not been to his liking. Actually, Takuma dropped all the way from eighth all the way down to tenth in points. So uh, that rounds out the top. Yeah, that rounds out the top ten in points in in the the Archivenards West Series. And they all have five races and under their belts of the five races that they've run so far. So that's really cool as well. And uh, uh, I, I can't wait to see more racing in the ARCA West. It's pretty exciting. Uh, we had a good conversation with Landon Lewis on Thursday night. If you get a chance to go back and listen to the interview, I'd highly recommend it. It's during our second half hour on Thursday night's uh, show. <clears throat> and... Uh, he gave us some really good information, so I'm kind of excited about that uh, interview. And I hope we have him back again, Sal. Yeah, he's a really nice kid. I, I, uh, I'm fortunate to be able to get a chance, you know, to talk to him you know, when he comes out here to race on the West Coast. And mm-hmm. um, you know, really, really nice. I mean, his whole his whole team is just really, really super, and uh, it's neat because. Ron Hornaday goes to all his races, so Ron, if you ever want to get a chance to talk to Ron or just cut it up with him, you know, he's always there. You know, he'll stop and, you know, we'll have to see and, if he can uh, talk come to on. you. And, 
Yeah, you know, I'll 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 I'll, I'll give him a, I'll give him a shot when I see him uh, when I see him on July on July first next month. You know, I'll let him know. You know, and and uh, I'll talk to his, his daughter Candace. Candace will probably be the one that'll set it all up, and you know, tell Candace okay. you know, if we can get if we can get Ron on the show to talk about because Ron's the one that's um, that's coaching. He's the one that's, uh, that's doing all the coaching for Landon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's doing a good job. Okay, before we run out of time here, uh, I just want to make sure we give you the dates for the next races for the Arca Menard Series. Uh, I gave you the one for the Arca West. The Arca East will be racing, uh, it's going to be quite a while, July 15th before they race again, out at Iowa Speedway, uh, the Calypso 150, and it will start at 8 p.m. Eastern time and will be televised on Fox Sports 2. I'm happy to see that happening out at Iowa Speedway. And then the Arkham Monard Series, uh, we were just talking about Berlin Raceway. Well, they'll be racing the Berlin Arca 200 on June 17th. I believe that's this Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern time. While the uh, NASCAR Series are all taking the week off, I think the only race we have this upcoming weekend is the race at Berlin uh, Raceway. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, and, again, it takes place at 8 p.m. Eastern, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1 out there at Berlin Raceway. So excited about that race. So there's no racing this weekend, so does that mean we're going to take Monday off? Yeah, we'll probably take there's Monday off. Series. Yeah. Yep, there's only one series racing, and what Jay and I will do is we'll we'll do the review of that race on Thursday, and uh, everybody can take the night off on Monday. Because yeah, we don't really have a whole of, lot of preview this week either. Yeah, I have a well. We Saturday we have the SRL, the Southwest Tour race up in Kern, but that's that's not really that much. But I have a string of. Uh, uh, junior late model kids that I'm lining up that are racing out here at Irondale. Oh, cool. I want to start getting on. I want to start, but I'll, I'll do it, you know, as we have a, you know, we have a, a full show. Yeah, we're not going to have a full show on Monday. Uh, we're just going to take the night off. Uh, and like I say, we will do the review of the Berlin ARCA 200 on the Thursday night show. Okay. Okay, and actually next week it'll be a Wednesday night show, uh, which will be even better for that. It'll be a midweek show because I am not available uh, on the 22nd, so we'll be doing a midweek show, which will be on Wednesday night next week. The same week that we're taking that Monday off, just for a programming note there. Okay, we're going to hop over here. Um, you know, this past weekend, Eric Almarola raced in the in the NASCAR Xfinity Series along with Kyle Larson and some. I think there were a total of five Xfinity Series drivers as well as uh, uh, a Cup Series driver, and uh, they all raced in. No, they. That's not right. I'm thinking of the ARCA race. Okay, in the Xfinity Series race, there were some Cup Series drivers that were racing in that event, including Kyle Larson and Eric Almarola. And uh, it looked like Kyle Larson was going to win that race, and then he admits he made a mistake 
and it cost him the victory. Eric Almarola was in the wings and took that win, and we'll review more of that when uh, we finish this media interview. But I do have the media interview. Uh, he was driving the number 28 car. And, by the way, the 28 car has not won in the Xfinity Series since Ricky Rudd got a win in the Xfinity Series. And right now, I'm not sure what the year was, but it's been quite a few years since Ricky Rudd has driven. So you know it's been a while. So it was good to see the 28 uh, back in victory lane in the Xfinity Series. But it was also the first win um, for, I think, uh, well, Eric Almirola hasn't won since 2017 in the Xfinity Series at Talladega was his last win. So it was a big win for Eric Almirola as well uh, to come up with that victory. Any comments there, Sal? No, it, it's just it, it, it's it's just amazing, you know that you know it took that long, but then you wonder how many races has that has that card number had in between, you know, from that time <laughs> to this time, you know, so you know, yeah, you know, for them to go that long of a stretch. I know, especially in the Xfinity series. I think we might have seen the twenty-eight car. I don't know when was the last time we saw the twenty-eight car. I don't think it's been real recent. But uh, no, we do. go ahead. No, I said no. No, it hasn't. It hasn't been that. We haven't seen it that much. Yep. We do have the media interview with Eric Almarola after his win in the Xfinity Series. Uh, the interview is actually twenty-two point one eight uh, minutes long. Uh, so we're not going to be able to listen to all of it, but we'll listen to about. Uh, eight minutes or so, and then Sal and I will comment after uh, those eight minutes. Uh, but let's go ahead and listen to his interview, Jay, Sal. We're going to continue our media availabilities for today. We're here with the winner of the DoorDash 250, Eric Amarola, driver of the number 28 Ford for RSF Racing. Congratulations, Eric. Uh yeah, it's uh, an eventful day. You know, just all the way going back to um, qualifying this morning. Um, car was was really good. Made a lot of changes to it overnight after practice, and it felt like we made it way better and uh, qualified fourth. So felt good about that. But then hopped over to the Cup car, and holy cow, um, I forgot. You know, just how different they they are. Um, and I, I felt like a little bit of a fish out of water uh, the first few laps of practice in the cup car. Um, got in a rhythm finally in the cup car and, and then hopped back in the Xfinity car for the race. And I, I felt like our car was third-place car um, to start the race. I, I thought that Larson and, and Almendinger were certainly better uh, than we were. And on the long run, and, and keep pace with them, uh, but from lap three to lap 12 of a run, uh, they would just beat me pretty bad. So um, Davin made uh, quite a few adjustments to the race car, and after the first stop, it was heading in the right direction, uh, and then the second stop, we, we made it better, and then that last set of tires, um, it took off on that restart. I uh, was able to get by uh, Suarez and, and uh, Alex there 
uh, on that restart in turn two, and I knew that clean air was going to be important. I knew I was going to have my work cut out for me, um, trying to hold off uh, Larson and Almendinger, and I knew that if I could just hold them off for seven, eight laps, I, I thought that I could maintain and keep pace um, with them after a while, and um, Larson made a mistake getting into 11, and it gave me a lot of breathing room, and, and I was finally able to start um, slowing everything down and not really, uh, you know, driving over my head, trying to keep him behind me. I was able to just kind of run my pace and take care of the tires, and, and they started giving me lap times, and uh, when Almendinger and Larson started racing hard behind me, um, it just gave me a lot of, um, you know, it gave me a lot of ability to, to just kind of run my pace and, and not burn up my stuff, and um, <laughs> I, I still can't believe it. It's, it's amazing um, to, to go to Victory Lane uh, in a road race, and, and of all places, I thought that this is absolutely a place I could get it done. Uh, my entire career, I've run way better at Sonoma than I have at any other road course. Um, the only thing I can think is that it has way less corners than all the other road courses, so there's less opportunity for me to screw up. Um, but I just I love this racetrack. It's a, it's a racetrack that I come to, and I always get excited about, about racing here. Awesome. Well, congratulations. We'll go ahead and open this up to media. If you have a question, please raise your hand. We'll start in the corner with Lee and then go to Zach. Eric, what was going through your mind when um, your spotter told you that that Larson had hit the wall? Um, he, he just he didn't say he hit the wall. He just told me he made a mistake, and, and you know I went from having him breathing right down my neck to a gap of 10, 15 car lengths. Uh, and, and I think Almendinger got by him through that um, through that scenario. So. Uh, I felt better about my chances uh, with Almendinger in front of him, and, and I felt like if Larson was going to start putting pressure on on AJ, it would, and those guys started racing, um, you know, that that I would be able to to maintain my pace, and, and they wouldn't catch me if they were racing. Um, so I immediately, you asked me what I thought. I immediately thought, just slow down, just calm down, slow down, don't make any mistakes, uh, don't wheel hop, don't lock up a tire and don't overdrive the race car. There's still, there was still, I think, 12, 13 laps to go, um, and, and I, I needed to take care of my tires because I felt like uh, all of us, you know, we were falling off really hard um, the last five, six laps of a run. So I was just trying to maintain and, and, and run my pace without burning up my stuff. We'll go to Zach. Zach Sterniola, NASCAR.com. Eric, congratulations on this. First of all, um, first win for RSS Racing officially as well. Yep. Um, what does that mean to you to be part of that team's um, first taste of victory? Yeah, it's huge for a race team like that. You know what it does for them and, and the points and the owners' points and what it does, um, you know, for their organization. Uh, it's, it's huge and so just so thankful uh, for that. You know, collaboration uh, with their race team. They're an alliance. They have an alliance, a technical alliance with Stuart Haas Racing. So um, just really happy. To be able to do that with their race team, uh, we were eating breakfast actually this morning in the hotel lobby uh, with a lot of their crew guys, and um, they're they're just a nice, genuine group of people, and uh, so so happy uh, to get them to victory lane. And then the other question would is just you talked about after Larson made that mistake, um, just telling yourself to slow it down. Before that, as he's on your back back bumper and as he's kind of closing that gap. Were you surprised you were able to hold him off as well as you were? Did you know where you were um, 
had any sort of an advantage over where um, maybe his car was performing? Yeah, he, he was beating me up uh, turn one up the hill and, and through two. Um, he was able to carry a lot more speed there. And I was I was able to get off most corners um, as good or better than he was. He could kind of carry more entry speed and roll to the center of, of, of almost all the corners better than I could. Um, but I was able to get throttle throttle down, get power down, and, and get away um, on exit. And I just knew that if I if I got off of turn four, good, so he couldn't outbreak me getting into seven. And I knew if I came down the S's good and got off of turn ten, good, and, and had enough of a gap to where he couldn't outbreak me into eleven, that he wasn't going to pass me um, without crashing me or driving through me. Um, so I just really calmed everything down, and, and even with him breathing down my neck, my main focus was just making sure I got off of those two corners um, the best I could to where I could get a gap and make sure that he couldn't outbreak me getting into to 7 or 11. All right, we'll go to Steven, then to Tom, and then to Bob. Uh, Steven Stump, Frenchit.com. Congrats on the win, Eric. Uh, after Larson made the mistake, at what point did it go from they're right on my tail to please no caution. <laughs> um, pretty quickly, I, I felt like um, I felt like with five to go, um, I was I was thinking about yeah, please, 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 please don't let there be a caution. I really don't want to restart with AJ Allmendinger and uh, Kyle Larson uh, right on my back bumper. You know, especially with that sizable of a lead, and I, I knew that if I just ran the race. Uh, the, ra- the race out with no mistakes and, and didn't do anything dumb on my part, um, that it was going to be pretty tough for those guys to run me down and beat me. But uh, certainly, you know, praying for, for no cautions at that point. And then uh, we were saying about slowing it down, your uh, last two laps were two seconds slower than AJ. Um, obviously, this is also one of the longest final laps. In addition to getting it home, kind of what was going through your mind as you're making, making your way through the turns for the final time? Yeah, just making sure that I just brought it home. I knew I had a huge lead, and the, the last thing you want to do is, is you know, I, I ran my race car right on the ragged edge all day, um, just really on the limit of wheel hopping and locking up tires and um, getting loose, coming down through the S's. So, yeah, at the end of the race, it was it was more about just bringing it home. We had such a big lead, um, you know, just get to, the, get to the finish line without making any mistakes. Okay, Cal, your thoughts about uh, the interview here with uh, Eric Almarola? Yeah, I didn't catch most of it. Most of it, it was uh, I was on, on uh, I don't know if I was on mute or what, but I missed no, the no. interview. And then it kicked me out. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Said, yeah, it kicked me out. So I I caught the part where he was, first talking about Kyle Larson and not thinking, you know, he's going to be able to beat him Tour when it came back on. Then he was talking about, you know, that he was hoping, you know, for no, for no caution, you know, you know, he wouldn't get a caution, you know, because, you know, he didn't want to do a restart with, uh, with AJ and and, and Kyle behind him. So. Yeah. You got to appreciate the candor of Eric Almarola and his ability uh, to put aside his own ego and recognize the talent of the other drivers. I, th- I think that's pretty cool about Eric. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he, he didn't have a choice, I mean, because, though, you know, I mean, when you bring in A.J., especially A.J. with all the 
road course experience. You know, we, you know, we would thought, you know, we would see a lot more wins out of AJ. You know, especially you know in the, um, you know in the, uh, you know on a road course. But you know that, um, you know when Good Cow made that that mistake, you know overdrove eleven. You know he talked about that. You know and you know what a relief it was. You know that you know that. You know that you know that it it opened up the gap. Mm-hmm. You know that much more yeah, you know, for him. Some to, breathing room, I think. Oh yeah, because. You know, I'm, I'm sure Kyle was just waiting, you know, for the right moment, you know, to, you know, to get in there and pounce on him. You know, then you had, I mean, he was, it was really a three-man show because uh, Ty Gibbs was way, he was way out. He was, he was oh, five, four, five seconds, you know, behind, um, behind Almarillo. So really it was, it was between Larson and, and Almondinger, you know, which one of those guys were going to be able to catch him, you know, and, and, uh. You know how they're going to set them up. You know for the. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish. Yeah, you know to see you know how they're going to set them up. You know for the path for the win. Mm Mm-hmm. It was he was racing with RSS Racing, even though the car was prepared by Stuart Haas Racing. We didn't get to hear that question, Uh, but it was a really big deal. Uh, for Eric to get that win for RSS Racing, that's huge for them when it comes to the owners' points for that for that team. Oh yeah, and oh yeah, and I mean, and Kyle was just—he was just waiting for one little mistake, and he was gonna—I mean, one slip. Oh yeah. By Almirolan, he was—he was just gonna—he was just gonna buzz by him. If not, coming down to the closing laps, I'm sure he would have gave a—he would have gave him a bumper, you know, to get around him, you know, to get the win, but. You know he, uh, you know he made that mistake, and Almondinger was, yeah, and Almondinger was too far back to. Now Almondinger would have. Yeah, I think I think Carl would have, I think Carl would have moved him a little bit. Yeah, Carl Carl has a way of doing it though without wrecking the guy, and I think that's good. Yeah, I'm not saying he would have wrecked him, but I think. I don't know. I've seen Kyle. I've seen him aggressive too, and and get into. They've all had their their moments. They've all had their moments. That's true. Yeah, you know they've all had their moments. You know where they've gotten into them. You know and just really, you know, they say they don't, but you know what? Nobody really knows what goes on at that at that time. You know, at the heat of the moment. You know, it's like. Well, I think it's you know, a lot of adrenaline and exuberance that happens. Uh, that causes them to maybe hit a little bit harder than they intended to or whatever. But it's part of the adrenaline that goes along with racing at the speeds that they race. Oh, yeah. And then not only that, but then you don't know how the driver friend is reacting. You know, is he going to brake check or, you know, is he going to get, you know, yeah. is he driving through his, you know, now he's driving through his mirror, so he's not watching what he's doing. He sees him make a mm-hmm. mistake, you know, so he left off the gas. I mean, left off the gas, and the car's automatically going to slow down. And if you're on its bumper, you know, you know what's going to happen. But either way, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was going to, it was going to turn out to be a really good battle to the finish. It definitely was. Uh, it was a fun race to watch, and I was happy for Eric Almarola. Even though um, it really looked like Kyle Larson had that race in the bag, he pretty much dominated most of the night. Or most of the day, I yeah. guess I should say. Yeah, most of the day, yeah. 
And I, yeah. you know, I'm surprised they ran the race so late, at, so late. You know, especially a road course with no lights. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, to start the race at you know five o'clock. You know, I was like, you know, why don't you start it at three? Give yourself enough time in case there's a red. You know, in mm-hmm. case there's you know extended yellows or something. You know, because once it gets dark, that's it. You can't see. I mean, there's no lights out there, and I was surprised they. You know, yeah, the time frame they gave to run the race. You know, they. They really, you know, it was really a, you know, I don't know, my, in my opinion, it was really a chance they were taking, especially with, uh, you know, starting at five, you know, most of these races, you know, they would start earlier in the early, especially when you have the whole day. You know, you had the whole day because you had no other racing going on that day because you ran the ARCA race on Friday. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know what the thought was, but that's what they did. Uh, we're going to have to move on to the uh, review now of that Xfinity Series race that Eric Almarola won. It was the DoorDash 250 uh, that Eric Almarola at the age of 39 won, driving the number 28 Michael Roberts Construction Ford, uh, owned by RSS Racing, with his crew chief, Alan Chambers. Uh, it was his fourth victory in 104 Xfinity Series races, his first victory and first top ten finish this season, and his first victory and first top ten finish in run race at Sonoma Raceway. The Xfinity Series, by the way, never raced at Sonoma before, so this was kind of a big deal for them uh, to be racing out there. A.J. Allmendinger came in second. He posted his first top ten finish in one race at Sonoma and his second top ten finish this year. Kyle Larson ended up finishing third. It was his first top ten finish in one race at Sonoma Raceway. Sammy Smith ended up in ninth place. He was the highest finishing rookie of that race. Uh, And now to the recap, uh, Eric Amarola knew Sonoma Raceway is a track that wouldn't make him look like a wanker, uh, far from it, holding off the dominant car of Kyle Larson until Larson made a critical mistake and then outrunning the road course ace, A.J. Almondinger, over the final laps. Almondinger, I'm sorry, Almarola won Sunday's DoorDash 250 at the 1.99 mile road course. Uh, taking the lead on that late restart, Eric Amarola won the inaugural Xfinity Series season race at Sonoma uh, for his fourth victory since the 2017 Xfinity Series race at Talladega. The win is also the first in RSS Racing Team history, so uh, that was pretty exciting. Again, Almendinger held off Kyle Larson for second. Larson slipped back to third and led a race-high 53 laps and won both stages, but hit a tire bundle in turn 11 while chasing down Almarola and lost control of his car. Ty Gibbs placed fourth. Then it was Parker Kligerman, the first Xfinity Series regular, uh, that uh, ended up in fifth place. He was followed by Cole Custer, who rebounded from a 26-place position to finish sixth. And Algauer, Austin Hill, Sammy Smith, and Sam Mayer made up the rest of the top ten. There were ten lead changes among six drivers and two cautions for eight yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race, 76.388 miles per hour. Your thoughts about those top ten finishers, Jen? So. 
You know what? I got to just go off the top 10 and go to uh, Friday's practice. Man, that hit that Anthony Alfredo took, gosh, that was a scary hit. During practice, wiped out the whole side of the car. I mean, hit the tires and, oh, my gosh, it was crazy. But going back to the top 10, yeah, congrats to Eric Almoral on the win, A.J. Allmendinger on the second, Kyle Larson on the third, and and Ty Gibbs hung in there, you know, for that fourth-place finish. Um, And actually, when you look, uh, Cole Custer was the highest-finishing uh, Xfinity Series regular at, um, in, the, in the sixth Parker spot. Kligerman won. Oh, Pi- oh, yeah, that's right, Parker Klingerman. I forgot he's running He's running full-time. Uh, he's also running full-time Xfinity. And then Austin Correct. Hill, with the, you know, with another top ten, you know, still continues his, uh, you know, his, his uh, you know, his consistency on the, um, in the uh, um, Xfinity Series. Yep, and a great finish for the rookie, Sammy Smith, as well. Uh, the next highest finishing rookie, Sammy finished in ninth. The next highest finishing rookie was the other Smith, Chandler Smith, who finished in 14th. Uh, so the margin of victory was 1.868 seconds. Uh, so it was a, a pretty significant uh, lead uh, that he had. There were 33 cars running uh, at the end of this race, and of those uh, 33 cars, 31 of them were finished all the laps. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, One car, uh, Parker Retzlaff, had a transmission issue. He only got 21 laps in. Anthony Alfredo had that suspension issue, taking him out on lap 44. Jeffrey Earnhardt involved in an accident, taking him out on lap 59. Josh Williams had a suspension issue. He he left the race on lap 60. Sage Kerim, uh went out on lap 71 with a transmission issue, and those were the drivers that had mechanical issues that took them out of the race. Any thoughts on any of that, Sal? Yeah, it was good, you know, to see, you know, that many cars, you know, finish on the, you know, the, in the, um, in the, uh, you yeah. know, on, on the lead lap, you know, yeah, especially on a road course, you know, you see a lot more, you see a lot more mechanical issues than you see, than you see wrecks, you know, because the cars there are taking a beating, you know, having to, you know, switch gears, you know, turn left, turn right, you know, and then, uh, you know, so, and then especially with the elevation changes of this track going uphill, going downhill, you know, so it's, um, you know, it's really something, but, uh, you know, all in all, you know, it was a good race, you know, what, uh, you know, I guess Sonoma always puts on a, you know, they always put on a good show, you know, and, uh, you know, the Senior mm-hmm. Trinity Series cars finally get their chance, you know, to race at the, you yeah, know, I thought that finally get their cool. chance to race. Yeah, because usually they'll run. Usually they would run the Friday would be practice for um, for the uh, Arca series practice for Cup, and then Saturday would be the um, qualifying for Arca run Arca race, and then Cup would run one practice, and then Sunday would be Cup. So you never got to see the Arc, the Xfinity, or the trucks. And last year they ran the trucks. And this year they flipped it around the Xfinity on Saturday. 
So, you know, I think that was good, you know, for the, you know, for the fans, you know, to bring on more, more racing because every year they run the West series there anyway. So, you know, exactly. you always get to see the West series. You always get to see the West series at the, um, oh man, at the, uh, um, at, uh, and Eric Amarola talked about how running the Xfinity series does nothing to really prepare you, uh, for the, running the Cup Series, the cars are so different. Um, they they know the familiarity of the track, but the cars themselves are very different. Uh, so it's hard to take anything from a car perspective over to the Cup Series. Yeah, I think a lot of them, when you, when you talk to the drivers, I think a reason a lot of them do it is um, a lot of it is, is to find the breaking points. Mm-hmm. You know, around and 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 also also to get to know that the track, you know, a little bit better since it's not a oval. You know, you got a, a whole bunch, you know, series of turns. You know, so they're looking, you know, for the, you know, where you want to run the track the fastest, and also, you know, like I said, they're looking at the at their breaking points and, you know, areas where they, you know, of course, there's only a couple spots where you can pass. But yeah, um, I know, you know a lot of drivers also use the i race sim racing. Uh, to kind of practice on that track beforehand, but there's there is some difference between what you do on a sim racing experience versus being at the track and seeing every bump and whatever on the track. You know, plus the the shifters are a lot different on the uh, on yes. the uh, on the Xfinity cars to the Cup cars because the Cup cars they have the they have the electronic and the um, uh, the Xfinity cars have the old-fashioned, you know, the you know the regular shifter on the thing, but the the Cup cars they uh, they have the what the heck do they call the, the shifter on it, or you just you know you, you you go up up one, you know, you know yeah, you, it's a little you, you bit different configuration. Yeah, so I mean it, it's 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 not the regular H pattern. You know, for mm-hmm. the cars, you know, so as far as the shifting and all that, you know, it's it's a lot, you know, it's a lot different, and of course the speeds. Yeah. But um, you know, you know, you put on a good show for the fans. You know, that's what the, you know, that's what the fans that's want. The main you know, they thing. Want, to see, want to see some good racing, you know, and, and uh. Let's go ahead and hit the points report before we run out of time, Phil. Okay, and then now for the points report, we got uh got John John Hunter Emotech still leading the points. Um, second in points is Austin Hill. Third is Justin Algeyer. Fourth is Cole Custer. Fifth is Josh Berry. And Chandler Smith rounds out the top six, and he's the highest uh, highest rookie in the points right now. And then from there, then you go to uh, Sheldon Creed in seventh. Sammy Swift, which is another rookie in eighth. Sam Mayer in ninth. Ryder Herbst in tenth. Daniel Hamrick at 11th, and then you got Parker Klingerman at 12th with um, uh, Brandon Jones. Well, the thing with Parker is he gets spot. displaced with the win by Jeb Burton. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he'll get displaced by Jeb Burton. So it'll be um, – actually, it'll be uh, Daniel Hamrick that'll be on the on the bubble. Well, yeah, Jeb Burton will be in there, and then Daniel Hamrick – uh, doesn't have a win yet, so he could get displaced uh, by another driver uh, yeah. if yeah, they win. That line. Yeah, because it'll drop Parker into the 13th spot and drop Daniel into the 12th into the bubble spot. Mm-hmm. 
So interesting stuff there. But uh, uh, I'll tell you what, these drivers are racing for all they've got for these wins. Uh, only two drivers with multiple victories, and that's John Nemechek and Austin Hill at the top of the list here. Um, and the difference is Austin Hill's three wins gives him uh, officially 18 playoff points compared to John Hunter Nemechek's 14 uh, with two wins and four stage wins. Uh, Austin Hill has the three wins and three stage wins, but he, it ends up being more playoff points. Yeah, so then when you look at the stage wins, um, John Hunter Nemechek and Justin Algar each have four, and Austin Hill only has three, along with Cole Custer that has three. And then you go down to Sheldon Creed who has two, but Sheldon is still doing a lot better than he did last year. At least he's in, you know, he's in, yes. the, you know, the top twelve, top twelve for the chase right now. So, you know, um, Sheldon Creed, you know, is having a lot better season. He certainly is. Okay, we'll go ahead and end it there. Uh, but Sal, let's do a lead-in to our guest who's coming on board uh, here in just a few minutes. Yeah, our next guest is, is Cole Raz. He is the younger brother of Grayson, Grayson Raz, and I'm sure a lot of you remember Grayson Raz from the when he was racing with uh, with Jefferson Pitts Racing. His teammate was Noah Gregson at the time, and uh, this was back when uh, you had a gosh, the West Series was um, was really really super competitive back then because you had Brucati, Bob Brucati Racing, who's uh, who um, retired and pulled out of the series after last year. Then you had um, Bill McAnally racing, who always had three and four, uh, always had three and four drivers drivers in the stable coming out to each race. And this year he only has the one in Tanner Rife. Um, so Cole's making a name for himself. He's uh, races a lot of super late model races um, up here in the uh, back here on the West Coast. Um, uh, gosh, he calls it. I think Tucson would be one of his home tracks. Um, Evergreen, uh, State Line, Wenatchee, and uh, he's just uh, a slew of uh, tracks out here. So um, Cole won the big race, big super late model race here. First time they've had it over here at Wenatchee, up here in Washington, uh, two weeks ago. And it was a $20,000 win, but then with bonuses, he picked up um, close to $22,000. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, $22,000 on the win. And he beat uh, he beat the who they say is the GOAT in the West. Actually, the GOAT in, in, in the nation right now, which is Derek Thorne, who's got, That's you know, right. multiple wins all across the nation. And uh, Cole, Cole's ended up outlasting Derek, put on a great show. They raced side by side. That's and Cole, lot right there. Oh, it was, man, I'll tell you, Sharon, it was uh, – too bad. I wish that race would have been televised because it was a it was a great battle. And then Preston Peltier, who's another one that's uh, that's won a lot of races, big races out here, was in the mix with them too until he got a flat tire. So you had you had Preston Peltier, you had Derek Thorne, then you had Cole Raz, you know, and and Cole really put on a great show for the fans and won the race. And um, uh, well, I know that was, wasn't was an a, SRL race, but does Cole race in the SRL? On occasion? Yes. Yeah, he does. Okay. He actually, actually, last I don't know, last year, the year before him and Brandon Farrington ran a, 
they ran a full uh, they ran the full SRL season. So now he runs selected um, super late model races. Um, he runs with his own. He has his own. They have their own team. They have their own car. And then he runs with um, with Jefferson Racing, and then um, uh, and it was just I'll tell you, it was just a really neat uh, neat emotional win for the family. It was a big win, um, and gosh, I mean. I, yeah. I wish that race could have been recorded because I, I would have really loved to 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 watch it again that would have been. and just see and just see the battle between him and Derek. Well, yeah, exactly. Let me just let you know he is on board here. So if you want to go ahead and introduce Cole and uh, start the interview, just keep in mind I do have some questions. <laughs> oh yeah. So, okay. Um, our our guest now we're going to talk to Cole Raz. I, I I was trying to get him on the Monday after the show, but some I think I don't think we had the sub came up we have the show or something. Anyways, so we got him on this week. Um, Cole's coming off of a big one up in up in Wenatchee, Washington. It was it was a uh, Wenatchee 200, great win, uh, great field of cars, um, great great weekend of racing, and gosh, just to see Cole get the win and and uh, just. Uh, Man, it was just, I'll tell you, Cole, it was an awesome win. Uh, congratulations once again on the win, and, and, uh, and welcome to our show. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you guys having me on here tonight. And, uh, it was definitely it was an amazing weekend. Um, you know, our first outing with Darren Rapensky and his family and his new Phase 2 Fort City, and, uh, it was truly humbling to be able to go out and do what we did. And I don't think it could have gone much better for the, the first race with us all. So it was pretty awesome. So, you know, um, starting out the weekend, you know, you know, there was, you know, of course you guys had the practice on Friday, you know, and then, you know, and something different that I'm not used to seeing because SRL and a lot of the, the big races we go to, we don't, we don't see three practices on, on race day and plus qualifying, you know, so that was kind of neat, you know, to see the three practices, you know, then the qualifying, then of course the race at the end of the, of the day, what were some things that you guys worked on, you know, you know, as far as, you know, you know, finding speed, you know, and trying to find, you know, you know, especially, you know, um, a good setup for the evening since the day, you know, was a little bit warmer than the evening. Yeah. I mean, so like we, uh, we went to South Sound Speedway on Thursday, uh, Derek and I both did. We, you know, had a good shakedown there and was able to get the, the new bugs out of the car there. Um, and from there is really just fine tuning. Um, you know, we unloaded in a fairly, fairly decent spot. Um, you know, we had a little bit of work to do, um, going to the front and rear of the car. Um, but it was just really trying to find a sweet spot with this car. Um, cause I feel like, you know, you can make the, make the same cars, but each of them are going to like different things in a sense, but not, not too big of a swing between the two cars that we had. Um, but really it was just fine tuning. And then, you know, we never had a true practice run at nighttime on Friday of the race conditions we'd be in on Saturday. Um, you know, so I kind of played into my favor of, of past experience of racing there and what direction I think the track would go. Um, and I feel like we were really in a good spot. We just didn't have a short run speed or, or had the, the really raw speed that you could have for qualifying run. But, um, obviously they don't, they don't pay the big bucks for qualifying and we, we really weren't too worried about it. So, um, I felt like we had a good piece Saturday morning and, uh, we just had to make sure we didn't tune ourselves out of it. You know, and then also, you know, <clears throat> with the, uh, with the way the super late models uh, have been, you know, running this year, you know, it seems like everybody's running either a Fury or a Hamkey. 
And uh, you guys decided to go with the with the Port City. Yeah, so our our family-owned car, the, the 27, it's been a Port City. So we've been on that program with Jeff Jefferson for, for years now. And that's what he's run for a long time, um, even back with Cameron Haley, um, back when they were dominating along the West Coast. So, um, you know, Port City's been close to us, and we've enjoyed working with them over the years. Um, you know, we ran for Sigma Performance Services for the SRL schedule in 2021. We were in the theory chassis. And, uh, you know, I think Port City is really on the come up again right now. And I feel like each chassis manufacturer is going to have their waves of success. And I think right now Port City is on the, the uphill of, of that trajectory on the, on the charts. But um, they've done a phenomenal job on this new chassis. And uh, there's been a lot of work put into it back in North Carolina and Maine in their two locations. But um, it's been really cool to see the success that's been coming out. And actually, when we got done at Wenatchee, um, Eric Jones went out and won the Money in the Bank race at Berlin Speedway there with the SRL National Tour, and that was uh, in a Phase 2 Port City as well. So it was pretty, pretty good week for Port City. You know, and, and actually um, um, uh, coming into the weekend, you know, um, um, you, you, you and your brother, you guys have a lot of, a lot of history at, uh, you know, uh, at Wenatchee. You know, um, uh, I know that uh, Jeremy Anders, you know, he, he, made, he made mention of that, you know, on Facebook, you know, on, you know, doing some comparisons and stuff like that. Um, I know Grayson was down there. Was there any, was there any, um, any extra like tips or anything, you know, that, that Grayson kind of helped you with, you know, during the race, you know, as far as, you know, getting you, you know, you know, set up to run the, the 200 laps there. Oh, for sure. I mean, Grayson has had a lot of success there over the years. And, you know, that was my fourth race at Wenatchee. Um, and we ran there earlier in the year, ran second, but he's been a huge help for me around that place. And, um, you know, that's kind of his bread and butter type of racetrack. And his, his advice, tips and tricks have paid off huge for us, obviously. Um, I think that the combination of him and Gary Crooks and Jeff Jefferson, Darren Rapensky, like everybody, like it just all came together perfectly to, to have the run that we did. And, uh, you know, Grayson and I have always been on the same page and have been able to talk to one another in ways that – other people can't really understand in a sense. I think it's just the relationship we have and uh, it, it works out perfectly for us to have the success we do. You know, and, and everybody always talks about, you know what, it's, you know, you, you have the first half of the race, which, you know, is the first hundred laps, you know, then you come into mm-hmm. the second half of the race and the second hundred laps and first hundred laps, you know what, you, you know, find out what your car is going to do, how it's going to run, you know, second half, you know, you hope to make the right adjustments, you know, to make that run for the, you know, basically, you know, for, you know, for the, uh, for the checkered, what was it like, you know, racing with, um, with Derek and especially when Preston came in and you, the three of you were battling for the lead. And of course, you know, at the end, you know, you know, you end up, you know, outlasting Derek because um, Preston got that flat tire and, and he was out of the, he was out of the equation. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really cool. I mean, those guys are, are two of the best to do it in the country. And, uh, you know, they're, they're perfectionists. They're really good at what they do for a living. And, um, Derek, obviously we know coming off a snowball derby win, but the success he's had on the West coast here is phenomenal. And, uh, you know, it's cool to be able to work with him as essentially teammates that last weekend. And, um, you know, Preston, we, we had a great race at Chili Willie there in Tucson this year. And, um, you know, I've been able to learn a lot from them and, and just watching the way they work and how they race people. And, um, I think that helped, 
helped me be prepared for for the the battles that we had that Saturday night. But it was it was pretty cool to to be able to have that. And I've seen a few pictures of the three of us battling that you know I'll be able to to you know treasure for a while. So that was pretty special. You know, actually going back, you know, the only way people have been able to beat Derek, minus you know, um, you know, minus the battles in the press and then, um, and Derek have had, you know, but you know, you look back at like, you know, Lenny White's beat him, but I mean, Cole, you're one of the drivers that have been able to beat him without actually Derek getting wrecked or having a, a, a mechanical issue, you know, having a good strong car at the end. So, I mean, you're up there in that list as like, I think one of two drivers, you know, that have been able to, to actually race Derek and, and catch him at the end. I mean, that was, that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself going into it, just knowing that we were going to be in identical race cars. And obviously that was his first weekend in a port city, but, um, you know, knowing I've ran that race car, you know, three times and we ran really good at Irwindale earlier in the year. And, um, like I know what that car is capable of, and I know what Derek's capable of. And, uh, you know, just put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, be like, you know, there's no excuses to not run good here. And, uh, you know, I think, to have it play out the way it did was a huge confidence booster and, uh, you know, was able to learn a lot from that weekend. And I think it'll only help us moving forward here. Yeah. And I'll tell you, moving forward is huge. And with that, we're going to move forward. Um, Sharon, our co our the host of the show, she, I know, I know she asked a question for you too. Hey, Cole, thanks for coming on the show and congratulations on that victory at Wenatchee. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's it's a big big win for all the reasons uh, that you and Sal have been talking about. Uh, but when did you first get the feeling that you might have a shot at this victory? Uh, I'd say, you know, probably our first long run of the race. I felt fairly confident in the race car that we had. Um, you know, Derek was able to control the first half, but we had a restart with probably. I don't know, 25, 30 to go in the first half. And we were able to go from fourth to second and then run down Derek. And that was kind of like, you know, the first part of like, man, I, I really think we got a shot to win this deal. And obviously you go into every race hoping and, and preparing yourself that, you know, you're there to go win. Um, but that was kind of the first, first taste of it. And then we fired off there in the second half and uh, almost got the lead there and then, you know, fell in line and, and you know, drove, drove around them. But, um, I'd say early on in the race, I, I felt pretty confident in the car that we had. It was just, you know, managing that first 100 laps and keeping your nose clean and, and making sure you're able to be there at the end. And ultimately, that's what we were able to do. Well, and, and I know there's a lot of work that goes into putting together your race car and having it ready for race day. Uh, and sometimes there's people behind you that don't always get recognition. I know you guys, uh, with Sal, you've already mentioned some of those folks. Uh, but are there any other people that you want to make sure you mention and give them kind of a, a pat on the back for putting together the car for you? Spotter? Crew yeah. Um, you know, ultimately, I, I was living in Natchez, Washington, which is where Jefferson Racing is located. I was living there for the last month and a half, um, you know, getting this car ready and, and putting back together the 42 car of Jeff Jefferson's car. Um, it was it was a grind, but, uh, you know, Jeff Jefferson, Dion Jefferson, uh, Jason, Josh, Rudy, Adam, everybody that's in the shop, they, they all got their own projects going on, but they all come together to help each other out. And it, it's really special to be a part of. And, you know, I learned a lot being there. 
um, over the years and being in the shop around those guys. But, um, you know, my brother was spotting for me that night, so I was really special to have. But all of our key partners that are able to get us to the racetrack, um, Auto Town Buick GMC, the Master Ranch, Wells Johnson, Earth Performance, um, you know, there's a list of very valuable people that have been able to put this together. And uh, I'm just I'm so glad that we can finally have something to show of all the, the hard work that's been going into it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, now, now that you've beat the Snowball Derby winner, what are the chances uh, that you might make it out east for the next Snowball we're, Derby? We're trying really hard for it. We, uh, I think this, if we want to do it, this is the year we got to make it happen. Um, you know, obviously the, the biggest thing that's holding us back is, is funding right now, truthfully. Um, you know, it's a, it's a long 12 days out there. It's a long drive out there to Pensacola, Florida, but um, I feel like the, the timing is perfect with the resources we have and the momentum we have going on right now. I, I think Port City, again, is just on such a high, and they've been doing a phenomenal job of, of working there in North Carolina and Maine, but these race cars are bad fast, and I think uh, if we want to make a derby run, this is the year to make it happen. So, you know, we'll just uh, we'll have to let the next few weeks play out, but uh, I'll be having some, some news here shortly, hopefully. Okay, well, that, that sounds promising. Uh, now, well, we always like to uh, kind of get to know uh, our guests a little bit better for those fans that are following along here. Uh, what What is it about Cole Raz that we uh, may not know, but you'd be willing to share with us? Man, I'd, I'd say the biggest thing is um, the amount of workload I put on myself trying to speak humbly here. Um, you know, I'm taking on the business side of this sport that I've been loving. Um, you know, working hands-on the shop, the fabrication, setting these race cars up has been a huge learning experience. Um, but I'd say the involvement I have in our racing program is different than many other young and up-and-coming race car drivers. Um, I think it's a, it's a lost talent um, within our sport. You know, a lot of your, your veteran drivers have grown up working on their own stuff, and it, I think the more involved you can be within your own race team, the better you're going to be able to do throughout a race weekend. But, um, you know, I'm just a 20-year-old with the most amount of determination to try and make this NASCAR dream happen. And, uh, you know, I think there's a, a lot of there's, there's a lot of no-quit attitude in myself that I've been able to, to get from my parents and my brother that, um, you know, I'm hoping is going to pay off for us one day. But um, I'd say ultimately I just love being around racing. Um, it's what I eat, breathe, and sleep, think about 24-7, and um, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Well, Cole, I've got to agree with you. I love it when a car, when a race car driver uh, knows how to put their car together, uh, and I think it does make you a better racer. So, thank you for sharing that, uh, Cole. We've run out of time here, but uh, I'm really happy that you're able to come on. I hope it's not the last time, and you'll be back to join us again uh, uh, for another opportunity. And um, uh, before you go, let fans know how they can follow you. Yeah, just go on to our social media pages there, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, type in Cole Raz or Cole Raz Racing, and uh, it'll be the first thing to pop up Follow along there. Um, we also have some T-shirts and hoodies that we just came out with this year. Um, they look really good, probably the more unique ones that you'll find within the racing industry. So, um, you know, give us a follow, send me a message, and, uh, you know, we'd love to keep building the brand and the support. And, you know, it's a journey for all of us, and I'd love for everyone to be a part of it. Okay, one more quick question. 
Who's your idol in NASCAR? Uh, my idol, I'd say I don't have a specific idol anymore. Uh, I was a big Jeff Gordon fan growing up, but I'm always pulling for Noah Gregson just with the personal relationship we have with him and his family. Yes. And it's been so awesome to see the hard work he's put into the sport and to have that pay off. And, um, you know, I know he's having a, a tough year right now, but he's just a, a stand-up guy, and, and I love pulling for him. And he's just – it doesn't get much better than him in, in terms of the fan interaction. So he's definitely somebody I can look up to and how he handles himself on and off the racetrack. But um, in terms of idolizing nobody, I don't, I don't try and do that anymore. Okay, well, I think that was an awesome answer. Uh, and, Cole, again, thanks for coming on, and congratulations on your victory. We'll look forward Thank to talking to you. Thank you, guys. I hope to be talking with you all soon. All right, you got it. Thanks again, Cole. Okay, that was uh, Cole Raz, uh, driver of the number 63 super late model, uh, with Jefferson Racing and Rupinski Racing for that Wenatchee 200 victory this uh, couple weeks ago. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got a lot to cover here, Sal, for our uh, uh, Cup Series review, so I'm going to get right into it, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Run it. Okay. The Toyota Save Mark 350 with Martin Truex Jr., age 42, driving the number 19 Bass Pro Shops Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing with his crew chief, James Small, uh, got his 33rd victory in 637 Cup Series races, his second victory in eighth top ten finish this year, and the fourth victory in seventh top ten finish in 17 races at Sonoma Raceway. Kyle Busch was second, posting his ninth top ten finish in 18 races at Sonoma and his ninth top ten finish this season. Joey Logano, third, posting his sixth top ten finish in 14 races at Sonoma. And Ty Gibbs, in 18th, was highest finishing rookie of the race. And now on to our recap. Uh, Martin, Ju- Martin Truex Jr. picks up his fourth Sonoma victory uh, with a dominating race. Uh, and when you think about it, there's a lot of difference between this year and last year. Uh, last year, he was struggling mightily at Sonoma Raceway in the debut season for NASCAR's next-gen next car. Uh, but this weekend, uh, Martin Truex pulled off a dominating 180-degree turnaround in the Toyota Save Mart 350. Uh, again, second win of the year, the fourth at Sonoma and 33rd of his career. Bush finished second, followed by Joey Logano. Then it was Chris Busher, Chase Elliott, A.J. Allmendinger, Michael McDowell, who had a great race, Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, and Ross Chastain to round out the top ten. Uh, Truex dominated much of the race, leading 51 of 110 laps, winning by nearly three seconds after taking the lead for the last time with 13 laps to go. The pole winner, Denny Hamlin, wrecked late in the race and could not continue. He ended up with a 36th-place finish, uh, not really representative of how he ran for most of that race. Stage one was run by Hamlin, stage two by Kyle Busch. There were ten lead changes among six drivers and two cautions for six yellow flag the average speed of the race was 81.989 miles per hour. Uh, Sal, your thoughts about the top ten finish? Yeah, it was a, a good top ten uh, 
top ten of cars and uh let me see where am I at here? Gosh. I was I'm trying to watch the last of the the last few laps of it again. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, congrats on Mar- congrats on Martin on the win. Kyle Busch, uh, second place. Gosh, I'll tell you, man, Kyle Busch sure has made a a, um, a difference with the RCR team this year. Um, yeah. He's really making them a, a team that just hasn't – that went from nothing from – man, I remember the last six years, five years, we've just been talking about how RCR is just so far behind the – you know the rest well, of the Kyle teams are not even a factor anymore. Him. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He he came to the team and he really he really did a number and really elevated that team to you know to where it's at now. Um, Chase Elliott, you know, coming off of this off of suspension, you know, to finish you know to catch a top five. Um, Joey Logano continued to be in a championship form, finishing third. Um, Kyle Larson, of course, you you know he mentioned eighth and uh, um, the watermelon at Ross Chastain, you know, finishing tenth. I was still looking for that first win of the season, but you know what? He's, um, you know, he's still hammering, he's still hammering on and, and still doing, you know, what, what, uh, you know, Ross Chastain does, you know, and, and, you know, out there racing and racing hard Christopher Bell, you know, who's, um, man, when Mark Truex leaves and Danny Hamlin, you know, he's going to be the next, you know, he's going to be the eyes and the, you know, and the face mm-hmm. of, uh, of JGR, you know, if it's not, even even sooner after Martin Truex leaves. So, um, but yeah. yeah, once again, you know, congrats, Martin. He hasn't. Gosh, he went on that streak where he couldn't win anything. He couldn't even come close to winning, and now he's, you know, he's back yeah. in, in winning form. You know, and uh, you know, congrats to him. Well, this is even better. This race was even better when it comes to cars running at the end of the race. Uh, there were 31 cars that finished all 110 laps. And another, is it four, four cars that finished just a lap down uh, for 35 cars running at the end of this race. Only one car fell, and that was Denny Hamlin, who had that accident that took him out uh, and only finished with 92 laps at the end of this race. Uh, that's kind of amazing in and of itself when you think about it. That margin of victory was said was nearly three second lead. It's 2.979, uh, seconds, uh, of a gap between first and second. So, uh, big kudos for Martin Truex Jr. for sure. Uh, but I thought the whole field, uh, to finish the way they did with nearly everybody finishing on the lead lap or one lap down and only one car, uh, finishing multiple laps down. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. You know, and, and and it's funny because usually when they run this race, it's usually like 195, 100 degrees, you know, and the weather this past weekend, you know, was mm-hmm. from the my all my buddies that were up there. I was talking to them. They said their weather was really nice with the exception of, I think, Wednesday they got some rain, you know. Wow. But I, but for the yeah, but for the most part, they said the weather was just it was just beautiful weather for a race, man. I remember I know going out there and and covering this race and being out on the track, and it, it's like a hundred 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 and five, and you know water just doesn't it doesn't do nothing. But um, you know it was uh, and then I and then I'm glad they went configuration. I I I I didn't like back when they the those. Couple of years when they went to the um, 
when they went to the carousel turn, you know, I didn't, I didn't really care for that. I didn't really care for that carousel turn. I mean, I know a lot of the fans liked it, you know, and, mm-hmm. but um, I, I, I just think that this, that this configuration, I know it's a lot faster. You know, they run, they run faster speeds, and um, I, I, I just like this configuration a lot better than when they, than when they bring in the, the carousel at the bottom where they go downhill and then they do the, the left hander and then go back up the hill again and um you know i just you know i like the, I like the speed they carry they carry you know in the on the back part yeah. of the on the back part of the track absolutely uh well we have a new leader at the top of the point standings if you want to cover that yeah we have a new leader it's mark Schroeder jr leading the points <laughs> second is um, william byron um, third is Ryan Blaney. Fourth is Ross Chastain. Fifth is Kevin Harvick. Sixth is Kyle Busch. Seventh is Christopher Bell. And Danny Hamlin uh, rounds out the the top eight since we only take 16 into the chase. And then from there, then we go down to uh, Joey Logano in ninth, Kyle Larson in tenth, Chris Buescher in eleventh, Brad Keselowski in twelfth, Tyler Reddick thirteenth, Ricky Stenhouse fourteenth. Bubba Wallace, 15th, and Alex Bowman uh, is 16th on the ball. I've got Alex Bowman's back already, so he's 16th, and uh, uh-huh. he's only he's got three points up on um, up on Daniel Suarez for the for the bubble spot. Yes, and Ty Gibbs, the rookie, is in 18th. There, uh, he's eight points back, so eight to eight points yeah, behind uh, Daniel. Man, for being a rookie, I'll tell you, he's he's having a hell of a season. He like really him, is. You know, being, yeah, I, I mean, when you think about it. People underneath that cut line that could end up with a victory. Yeah, there is. I mean, you know, there there's a lot of there's a lot of drivers underneath there. You know, uh, you know, a couple. You know, um, you know, you still got Chase Elliott. You know, who's uh, who's sitting twenty seventh in points. You know, who who could. You know, catch catch that one win. You know, put him up there. You know, he got the they signed the waiver. You know, so he's he just needs to win now. Mm-hmm. You know, to, well, you know, ten you drivers know, to have victory, one or more victories that leaves six spots to get in on on points, uh, unless we have more winners, and then that that window keeps closing. Yeah, I mean, you got the multiple winners and and William Byron and uh. And Kyle Busch are leading the the series with three each, you mm-hmm. know. And, and when you look at the when you look at the um, the playoff points, they both are tied with seventeen. The thing mm-hmm. is that um, William Byron has seven stage wins, and Kyle only has two stage wins. So, you know, that's you know it's going to make a big uh, you know big difference, you know, when they get into the chase. But then you look at Kyle Larson, who's in tenth place, you know, and he's holding on to twelve. Twelve playoff mm-hmm. points with only two uh, with only two stage wins. So, you know, Denny Hamlin with three stage wins and and eight playoff points. You know, so it's gonna when the when the chase comes around, you know, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be exciting. You know, to see who. Um, well, the countdown you know, begins gonna, because they've got sixteen yeah. races in, only ten more races uh, before the playoff begins. So these drivers have those 10 more races when they come back from this break uh, in order to uh, make it into the playoffs. And that's where I start counting it down. 
1098 because uh, it gets a little more intense the closer we get. Yeah, it does. So, um, and uh, of course, with that, you get the, um, you know, you get the, uh, uh, you know, the, um, you know, they start pushing, they start pushing the issue more. Right, right. I agree. I agree. So we'll have to see how it plays out here. Uh, But it's been a fun season so far, and uh, we'll see how it continues to play out. Are you going to be at the racetrack again this weekend? Yeah, I'll be at the Kern for the the Spears SRL Tour. We'll be in uh, Kern, Kern Raceway this weekend. Well, if you see Derek, can you tell him hi for me? Yeah, I'll see him. He'll be up there. And ask him when he's coming on the show again. Tell him I yeah, asked. Yeah, I got a. He's, no, I know he's been real busy with the. Uh, oh, he's I been know. Real busy I... with the um, with his with the with the teams that he's running, and then you know with yeah. his uh, with Derek Thorne racing. You know he's. But yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give him a holler and see you know see what he says. Well, tell him to check the calendar for his first open spot, and hold it for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll let him know. Okay. Well, Sal, it's uh, good to be on with you. I thought Cole gave us a really good interview, and uh, uh, I look forward to seeing uh, what he does for the rest of the season. So thank you. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's going to be exciting. So yeah, we'll keep in touch with Cole and see what um, and see where all this uh, plays out. Okay, doke. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you. Well, I guess we won't be talking to you next Monday. We'll have a Monday off. So we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Okay. Okay. So take care. All right. All right. Good night, everybody. Have a safe weekend. Be safe. Have fun. And and we will talk to you later. Okay. All righty. Take care, Sal. All right, we're at the top of the hour, which means it's time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and we have one person here so far, and I believe that is Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hello, I am back. I am burned, but I'm back on the radio. Good to talk to you all. Well, well, we've got a couple minutes here and waiting for the others. How was your vacation? It was a good time. Uh, we went down to the Keys, spent about a week in Marathon down there, uh, did a good bit of fishing, caught fewer fish than I would like, but, uh, you know, who, whoever catches as many fish as they want, right? Uh, we, got a, we, got a, we put a dent in them, but uh, there's still plenty more fish down there in the Keys if you're, if you're looking for a place to go. But, yeah, I had a good time, got a good sunburn, and uh, I guess now i got to go back to work to pay for all the good times that I had. Well, it was very thoughtful of you to leave some fish down there in the Keys. I'm sure that all the fishermen appreciate that. I am nothing if not a nice, courteous, considerate guy. <laughs> there you go. Okay, also joining us is uh, Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, thanks. Always good to be on. And I, my question for Mike would be, uh, tell us about the one that got away, because I'm sure you have that story to tell. <laughs> Look, man, this thing was about an eight-foot-long sea monster, if I've ever seen one. He came back up out. He looked at me. He said, I need about 350. And that's when I realized I was looking at a paleolithic creature from the Mesozoic era, none other than the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. There's a fish up in Canada named after my dad, 
because he fell asleep when he he uh, snagged his line, and he ended up losing him. So I'm sure he's still up there. They call him Sleepy Francis. Well, we did have one uh, that legitimately got away with us. Uh, we were out trolling, and um, we had probably, uh, I don't know, 500 yards worth of fishing line on this reel. And we didn't notice that it was spooling out until we heard the pop of the line go. So there is some oh fish down there that was big. Oh, it was big enough to pull the drag on a 30-size Penn International uh, reel, pull the drag completely out, and now that fish is trailing about 1,500 feet worth of line on him down there. So if you see him swimming by, just reach down and grab the line, and you got him. We already did the hard work for him. We got him hooked. All you got to do is pull in the line for us. I, I will have to come up with a nickname for that fish. Okay. In case anybody does find it, make sure you let us know. Uh, Jay's not here yet, but I think we can go ahead and get started with our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And, uh, Andy, I think we'll start with you tonight. Yeah, let's take a look here. Obviously, a, a fun weekend of road course racing. Um, I kind of wanted to touch on um, the Garage 56 effort at uh, Le Mans. Yeah. I actually didn't didn't really get a chance to watch any of it, but I did see some highlights, and uh, that was pretty exciting. Um, curious what you thought of that and, and what that might mean for uh, the future of stock cars and endurance racing. Okay, Jay. I'm not Jay. Mike. Jay's not here. <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm like Andy. I, I didn't get to watch much racing at all this weekend. The only, the only racing I saw, I saw a little bit of the truck race, and I saw pretty much the whole cup race at Sonoma. I didn't watch any of the gateway racing. I didn't, I didn't watch, I watched some highlights from the Portland race and I didn't get to watch any of the uh, Lamar race, at least not live. I did watch a lot of highlights for it. And what I saw, I loved to see. It was really, really great. Um, it started, I think you guys talked about the HMS pit crew dominating the pit crew competition on the Thursday mm-hmm. before the race. I think that surprised a lot of people. There were a lot of people in the sports car world that were really talking about it. And it really reminded me of, Back in, I want to say it was 2012, when they had the Race of Champions, which is like a, a European exhibition race. It's, it's for fun. It's not like a ser- super serious race. But they had Carl Edwards versus Michael Schumacher, who at the time was one of, if not the very best Formula One driver in the world at that time. And they were racing like little economy cars in like a stadium, a sports car course, whatever. But anyway... The announcers, they, they very clearly thought Michael Schumacher was just going to wax the floor with Carl Edwards, and it went absolutely the other way around. Carl Edwards embarrassed him. He, he, put, he put buses on Michael Schumacher, and it felt a lot like that this weekend at Le Mans. No, the NASCAR team didn't win. They weren't in contention for a win. They couldn't, even if they had crossed the line first, they wouldn't have won because of the way the, the categories and whatnot were set up. Right. However, I think there was a lot of eyes that were opened and respect that was gained for the entire NASCAR enterprise this weekend, which was the entire goal of the whole program. NASCAR was trying to reach out to expose the sport to other fans who may not be interested in NASCAR, especially over in the European market. There is a very small, if any, foothold that NASCAR has in the European market. That tends to be dominated by Formula One and other um, road course and sports car type disciplines. So NASCAR trying to expose the sport to those people was the goal, and I think they knocked that one out of the park. There was a substantial amount of respect, admiration, 
and and just downright goodwill that seemed like it was it was coming forth for the entire NASCAR effort. Yes, Hendrick Motorsports kind of led the charge on developing that car, but make no mistake, this was a NASCAR effort. It was an ECR engine. It wasn't even a Hendrick Motorsports engine in the car. And all the major stakeholders from all the major teams, they shared data with the program. They participated in it. Yes, it was a Hendrick Motorsports-led effort, but it was very much a complete NASCAR effort to put that car on the racetrack and perform as well as they did. They had some unfortunate gearbox issues in the overnight hours. They managed to get it finished, and they finished the race. I think they finished 39th overall for, uh, for crossing the finish line, which would have been good for, like, 7th or 8th in the GTE class, which is the, the category of cars that they were most closely aligned with. So a respectable effort, especially for any first-time team coming into the 24-hour Le Mans. That race is no joke. I mean, there's a reason it's in a legendary race for 100 years now. And the fact that NASCAR was able to put together an effort that was able to put a car on the racetrack in about a year's notice and not only complete the race but be relatively competitive in that race and, and do very well, it speaks volumes for the technical proficiency, the dedication, the professionalism, and the excellence that NASCAR as an organization, Hendrick Motorsports in particular, but all the NASCAR teams that participated in the project, it speaks volumes about them and reflects very, very well on the sport. Okay, well, let me say, uh, first of all, welcome to the show, Jay, and uh, you're up next for the Garage 56 entry in the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Your uh, thoughts there? Well, thank you. I apologize for being a little late. Um, yeah, the uh, as Mike said, uh, I think it's just a good thing all around and was impressive um, to, to finish the race. Uh, you see that anytime you watch a endurance race like that and to be out there i think that i know they spent some time behind the wall uh for two different periods but um to have put that together uh would like say i think a two less than two year plan there with that and i agree with him i think this is so good for our sport and how it grows from here what could come from this i know there was some flashback to it but um, being that it was a Hendrick Motorsports team. But I just think uh, so many possibilities that could grow from this. That's what excites me about the future with it. Yeah, I, I totally agree as well. I think they did a really, really good job. I did get a kick out of, uh, I just see a tweet uh, from one of the media members that were out there. It might have been um, uh, the guy from uh, Jerry Jordan uh, from uh, Kicking the Tires. Uh, I'm not sure who it was from, but I remember watching him uh, talk about going out there. But uh, anyway, they were saying that, you know, all of these cars have a hum to them when they pass by. And in the middle of the night when people were in the stands and maybe trying to catch uh, a little uh, quick nap, uh, when when the Garage 56 car came by, it woke them up. Uh, because it's such a different sound uh, from the hum that you hear from the other uh, entries. But I do think this was a very huge accomplishment. Uh, When I listened to the commentators, I only caught the the tail end of the race. Uh, But when I listened to the commentators talk about that Garage 56 entry, there was a lot of respect uh, given for the effort that they made to be in that race and uh, uh, and to accomplish what they did by completing the race. Uh, so that was a very huge um, 
very huge. And not only were there new eyes, not only are are there um, new eyes uh, coming to NASCAR because of that Garage 56, but those in reverse as well. There are a lot of NASCAR folks tuning into that 24-hour of Le Mans because they wanted to see how that Garage 56 entry finished and how well they did. And I think that they 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 were in for a really good. Um, feeling uh and and a sense of pride in that garage 56 century uh when when they did tune in so uh, kudos to uh as you said not just Hendrick Motorsports and ECR engines but to NASCAR because they were very much involved in this as well and uh it was a a Herculean effort when you think about it, uh, all of the time and effort that they put into to make that car uh, run as well as it did. Uh, and you're right, sure, it didn't it didn't win any any uh, um, you know uh, divisions or anything like that, but it it did it was a victory uh, for NASCAR with that 56 entry in the 24 hour of Le Mans. Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I really need to echo what's already been said. Certainly um, just really cool to see, you know, the effort that was put forth. You know, the fact that they finished the race is a big deal. And they actually did pretty respectable. I think there were 60-something entries in this race. So to finish 39th um, is pretty good. And it would have actually been, I think, far better than that. They were up in the mid-20s before the gearbox issues. So they actually did very, very well, all things considered. And, um you have to really appreciate the the exposure that it gets, not just for NASCAR, but also for sports car racing, um, you know, and maybe this will create more opportunities to see fans uh, tune into sports car racing and vice versa as well, you know, into NASCAR. So that's pretty awesome. But it also gets me wondering what do we see this, um, you know, what do we see this, uh, possibly lead to in the future um, for either stock cars and endurance racing um, or, you know, what does this mean maybe for more of an international presence for NASCAR? Um, we've been hearing about NASCAR wanting to broaden their horizons outside of the United States. And I think that this Le Mans effort really um, makes a case for that possibly. So maybe this is the catalyst um, you know, to help gain exposure for NASCAR outside of the U.S. And maybe that, you know, opens some doors for international racing. So all in all, just a really good and successful effort this weekend. You know, again, I didn't get to watch it, but I did see some highlights and it was certainly really exciting. I think all in all, it was a, a win-win for, for everyone involved. Uh, absolutely. Mike, your, your uh, follow-up thoughts? Well, as far as the future goes, obviously nothing's been announced yet. We're just off. The, the car hasn't even cooled down yet. So it's probably going to be a little while before we find out what the future of this program is going to be, if there is a future for this program. This was, by and large, an advertising effort by NASCAR. Yes, obviously they, they built a race car. They went and they competed in the race. But the goal here was advertising and exposure for NASCAR to the international market, like Andy said. I think they accomplished their goal. They, they certainly got plenty of exposure it was a huge topic of discussion on pretty much any bit of media covering the race in general. Very rarely did they not mention the NASCAR entry because it was such a unique car. And you just look at the group photos of all the race cars and you see this monster of a NASCAR, basically 
yes, it's not identical, but it's basically a NASCAR Cup Series car just towering over these little toy sports cars. And it's just, it's such an imposing presence. You already talked about the noise. NASCAR couldn't have asked for better exposure there. So I think they, they really met their goal of advertising the sport to a new audience. What's going to Pay, what's going to see what happens is if it pays dividends in terms of eyes watching NASCAR's week-to-week product. Does NASCAR see an increase in interest from the European market in particular, because that's what that goal was, was to reach out to the European market. Do they see an increase in interest from Europeans who have been very traditionally Formula One as their primary elite motorsport that they follow? I don't think NASCAR will ever overtake Formula One in Europe in terms of being the most popular motorsport, but maybe they can get their foot in the door a little bit and maybe even open the door to holding a NASCAR exhibition race somewhere in Europe. They went to Japan back in the 90s for a similar exhibition race, and NASCAR has previously expressed interest about racing somewhere outside the United States. People assumed it meant Canada or Mexico, but with them potentially trying to open the European market with this Lamaya tree, perhaps we do see NASCAR in Europe at some point in the not-so-distant future. There's a lot of doors that could potentially be opened by this, but I think the first step is going to be NASCAR analyzing what kind of return on investment they get in terms of viewership in the European market, whether it continues to be something they want to pursue or whether it looks like it ended up being a dead end for them. Either way, I think it was a great success this weekend. It really showcased our sport very, very favorably. If they do choose to do it again, that'd be great. Unfortunately, We can showcase the car, but due to the nature of the schedule, we can't showcase our drivers. It was good to have recognized drivers in Jimmy Johnson, Mike Rockefeller, and Jensen Button, who are recognized names within that world and also a representative from NASCAR with a seven-time champion. But we weren't able to showcase our best current drivers. It would have been wonderful if we could have put our three best road course drivers, grab Chase Elliott, Tyler Reddick, and Kyle Larson, or pick any of the other guys who are really, really good at road courses these days and send them out there. But with the logistics of the NASCAR schedule, there was no way they could have sent those guys, three of our NASCAR stars, out to France, have them race in Le Mans, and then make it back in time for the NASCAR Cup Series obligations. It's just, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. But either way, great exposure for the sport. I'm, I'm excited to see where they go from here. I hope that they put that car on the NASCAR Hall of Fame on the Glory Road display and give fans in the U.S. a chance to go look and see what NASCAR put on the racetrack and showcased our sport so well with it because it was a really, really cool race car to see. Okay. Uh, Jay, your your follow-up? Yeah, that, that's where you got to go from this is, is what's next. Um whether it be a continuation in the series, as Mike said, uh, the exposure in Europe of if they take a race over there. Um, I know, as he said, that's kind of been on their radar as a possibility of doing something overseas. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if I, I know it got listed as in another country, but I think it really is overseas. We already talked about the possibility of uh, Canada being back on the schedule next year. I think that's still something they're looking at and, this was part of that, as he said, research and feedback from that. But I also think about within the car itself, not just for Le Mans, but what that does for NASCAR. I know we, we kind of talked about that of maybe NASCAR seeing some type of endurance race um, for itself, whether it be in an exhibition race, the all-star race, something like that. But what they take from that of what they can implement into our series here 
Um, and I, I kind of feel like maybe that, that at least one endurance race throughout the year is a possibility down the road, you know, and for people that want to say, oh, that's crazy. Well, we're doing a street course, you know, coming up here in Chicago. How many years back would somebody have said, hey, that's way out of line, you know, crazy. And it's happening. So um, I just think there's a lot of huge benefits. And even if nothing else, even if it, this is it and we're done, we don't do anything, that NASCAR doesn't do anything else with it. As Mike said, the exposure across uh, both sides, um, I think it's just been huge. Yeah, I really think that um, uh, the NASCAR does have intentions of <laughs> taking another step here. Uh, I don't think this is going to be the end of the Garage 56th century, um, and I think that we will see more. Uh, NASCAR has indicated for a long time now uh, that they have an interest in in uh, racing uh, beyond the United States borders. Uh, Canada is, is one step in that direction, but I think there will be uh, more coming down the pike here. <clears throat> and uh, this was just the first step in that direction. I don't think they would invest the kind of money that they had to invest in this car if there wasn't some intention behind it uh, in moving forward. So I, I hear what you're saying, Mike, and I agree with a lot of it. Uh, it did give us a lot of exposure. It did, it did do a lot to promote our sport. Um, and, but I think that there will be more steps that will be announced as uh, time goes on here, especially with some of the other changes that we're looking at over, over time. Uh, I think that we will be seeing that happening. Um, but um, And I think it would be good for the sport to do that. I know we've done that before. Uh, I think we raced over in Japan one year. Uh, and, and we have gone overseas. I'm trying to think of some of the other places. I know we've gone to Mexico and Canada, uh, which is contingent uh, with our borders. Uh, but what makes it unique is when you go to somewhere like France and race uh, and you have to cross this, the ocean uh, in order to get there. That's a whole different uh, aspect to this. Uh, but NASCAR has an interest in doing that, and I do think that they will – uh, make something more happen uh, as they continue to evolve in the, in that regard. So um, if, if our website is any indication, I will tell you uh, that just today even, uh, we've got uh, viewers from Canada, France, and Ireland uh, that are tuning in. We usually have uh, people from outside of the United States, uh, but it's, I think it's interesting that it's Canada, France, and Ireland uh, for this particular day after that Le Mans run. So, uh, Andy, what, what's your follow-up here? Yeah, it'd be cool to see the car in the NASCAR Hall of Fame, certainly. Um, you know, just to give fans here in the U.S. a, a good up-close look at it, you know, certainly it was based off the, the current Cup Series car, but a lot of innovation went into it that makes it vastly different as well. Um, you know, and this effort almost makes me want to, you know, see them run, say, the Rolex 24 here in the States. I know that, you know, it probably made more sense to do the Le Mans only be, to get the international exposure, um, you know, but it would be cool to see them do it here as well because then there there would be a bit of a crossover between IMSA and NASCAR, and you'd, you'd help 
give um, the sports car community a glimpse into stock car racing and also vice versa. Um, you know, I, I know from people that I know of that are into motorsports um, that are more into sports car racing and really don't know much about NASCAR. So you could also kind of correlate those two worlds as well right here in the U.S. So um, I hope there's more of that in the future. It would it would be, I think, really cool to see stock cars involved in endurance racing and, you know, wishful thinking would have us running a 24-hour NASCAR race at Daytona. probably would never happen, but I, for one, would think it was cool. It uh, sounds cool to me. Okay, Mike, what's our next topic? I know you've talked about the penalties that the number 14 team got a couple weeks ago regarding the counterfeit part that they brought to the Coca-Cola 600, but they had that part on display at at, uh, Sonoma this weekend, and I really wanted to highlight this was excellent, outstanding work by NASCAR here. Uh, Brad Moran, the managing director of technical inspection at NASCAR, he had a media availability where he had the confiscated part in one hand. He had the legal... uh, single source Gen 7 part in the other hand, and he demonstrated by comparison the difference between the legal part and the confiscated part from the number 14 team, including their go-no-go gauge that they use to determine whether that part is legal or not. I want to absolutely commend NASCAR on their transparency here. And also, Kyle Busch's take on that was, was pretty good. He said NASCAR needs to come up with a what-an-idiot award, and the number 14 <laughs> team would be the recipient of this for, for trying to pull this one off. But the, the transparency on this one was just, it was phenomenal on NASCAR's part, and I love to see it. Okay, Jay, you're, well, before you, well, yeah, Jay, go ahead and comment, and then I'll do my announcement after that. All right, well, and if you need to interrupt me, uh, go ahead. Uh, I don't think I'll go that long, though. Uh, as Mike said, the transparency, and, and I even saw, like, a video clip of it, where he did a little video demonstration with it. I think I, I saw it come across Twitter throughout the weekend. So, yeah, they are being really clear on it. I know there's still some question, and I'm not trying to defend, uh, defend the team. Again, there was the – they created a part um, uh, on, on the number uh, – yeah, that was on the number 14, right? That was the, the created part. Um, yeah, it was the Eric Jones one that was the greenhouse. Okay. Um, that there really is zero defense, uh, you know, and when we talked about this, I kind of, uh, had said, Hey, if they were testing or looking at something they could do and bring to NASCAR, uh, I think it was Andy Petrie from RCR on race hub said, Hey, if you're going to do that, that part better be bright orange with all indications, you know, of that it is not a race-using part. You know, if it's got stickers on it and and whatnot, you know, you know what you're doing. So um, that was – I hadn't heard Kyle's comments, but uh, Andy Petrie was saying, yeah, that's not one that you you let go by through – what do they call it? Quality control. If you have something that you're developing or testing or something – like, you're going to have it marked. And he talked about that with uh, tires and different things back in the day. You know, they had bright flesh and orange painted on them. You don't make that mistake. So um, they're going to have to learn from it, uh, as well as NASCAR as a whole, that, you know, the entire garage area. NASCAR's not playing with this. 
Okay, I'm going to go ahead and make the announcement, Andy, before we go to you. Uh, we are at that part of the show where our first-time listeners, I like to uh, speak directly with you because we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, you're going to hear us go off the air talking mid-sentence. Uh, just know that we are going to be recording uh, that part of the conversation, even though we're not on air, and that becomes part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. And I'll go out on Twitter and Facebook and let you know when the podcast is available. And uh, at that point, and any time at your earliest convenience, you can fast forward to that two-hour mark and hear the rest of the conversation. So uh, we're available uh, at com at the player there, but we're also available on iTunes and Amazon Podcasting as well as TuneIn and multiple other uh, sources. So uh, no matter what source you're using, just fast forward to that two-hour mark and you'll be able to hear the rest of our conversation. So I uh, don't want anybody to be caught off guard or or uh, not know what to do to hear the rest of the story here. So that's why we make this announcement at this point. So with that, Andy, what are your thoughts? I really appreciate the transparency. I think that everyone has the right to know exactly what was wrong with the park, um, whether it be fans or other team members, um, journalists. Um, you know, whenever a team has committed a penalty in the past, They've always said what it was, but we never oftentimes understood exactly what the issue was. So it's nice to see, you know, them come out and explain the difference and and to say what's wrong, you know, and and to to show why it was wrong. So uh, very thankful for that, you know, and, you know, obviously a very egregious attempt at, uh, you know, trying to – trying to get a fast one by NASCAR. And, and so the team, you know, they, they've got to pay the price for that, and they are paying the price for that. Um, you know, they're going to have to win a race, and the way they've been running this year, that's kind of far-fetched. I hate to say it. So, you know, effectively, you know, they went from being in the playoffs to um, probably not making the playoffs this year. You've effectively ruined their season you know, unless they can win a race. So, I mean, it's, you know, NASCAR didn't, NASCAR didn't take kindly to this and I don't blame them. The the, the rules are clear. You have to come to the racetrack with vendor supplied parts. It's, it's, it's like I said on the previous show, it's literally, a le- it's like playing Legos. You, you get the pieces, follow the instructions and you put it together. You can't manipulate it. And that's what they did. So, um, I, and I, I agree with Kyle Bush's take. I mean, it's, you know, people probably should be fired for this. I think I said this on online. You know, people, it, it really was, it's really a bad look. And, and, you know, there are people on the team that probably didn't have knowledge of it that have to pay the price. The whole team has to pay the price for this, unfortunately. So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I hopefully, hopefully somebody or multiple people will pay an ultimate price for this because it was, just a, a crappy situation. And I, I feel for anyone on the team that didn't know about it, probably Briscoe didn't know about it. Usually drivers don't. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to think they don't anyway. So I, anyone that was innocent, you know, I feel for them, but I don't have any sympathy for anyone that, that thought this was a good idea because it was pretty dumb ultimately. 
Yeah, I have to agree about the sentiments regarding the transparency. I love the transparency. I think that uh, sometimes you have organizations that put a spin on their situation because they know that we're not going to know all the details, uh, and NASCAR has taken that away now by with the transparency. They're showing us exactly uh, what we're dealing with. And uh, and and I think that that was all great. They put out multiple videos uh, with regard to the part, and um, uh, I think it should be out there for all to see. Uh, giving them the benefit of the doubt, even if it was egregious, if it was uh, an accident, is what I meant to say here. And somehow that part ended up on the car by accident because of a quality control issue. Um, it's still a, a really big mistake to make, uh, and I think NASCAR has also made it clear that the teams are responsible for their own quality control. So there was a breakdown within that organization, and that's giving benefit of the doubt. Um, the fact that they put it on the car uh, with markings to try to make it look like it was a spec piece, I think really makes it uh, egregious. And uh, I really think that that is a clear <laughs> indication uh, that it wasn't an accident and that they were they were really trying to get by with something. Um, and, and I'm glad NASCAR caught it. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate their due diligence in doing that. Um, and, and I hope they keep that up. Uh, I'm glad that they've changed their their uh, thought process about being more transparent about these things, and I think uh, we're seeing the benefits of that transparency uh, with them uh, putting out all the videos that they put out. And the other point that I wanted to make is is they very clearly stated exactly uh, what is acceptable versus what is not acceptable. And and I think that's what it looks like, piece that you've been uh, working on and you want NASCAR's approval for it. That's what the approval looks like. <laughs> and I think that that was a good example as well. And um, uh, unless you've got a specific approval from NASCAR, you're not to use those parts. And I think uh, it was very well demonstrated. So uh, I can really, really appreciate that. Uh, I've always said it. Uh, I hate it for Chase Briscoe because I know, um, you know, it, it's a big hit uh, for a driver like that. But I think it's a great learning curve for, for him and his team uh, <clears throat> moving forward. And I think they can use this opportunity to prepare themselves uh, for – uh, if not this year in the playoffs or for the remainder of this season, uh, they can prepare themselves for next season and uh, use this time to their advantage. Uh, so I would look out for Chase Briscoe perhaps next year uh, as a result of uh, what's happened here. That's that's the positive side of what can come from all of this. But um, uh, I think NASCAR did the right thing. Mike, your thoughts? So I didn't see the, the race hub segment that Jay's referencing with Andy Petrie, but I wholeheartedly agree with the sentiment that he, that he said there. Remember, SHR's initial response to this was, whoopsie-daisy, we put the wrong part on the race car. We didn't mean to bring it to the racetrack. That's yeah. BS. That's absolute <laughs> BS. Because there's a, there's a few layers to this BS. First off, 
this part is not necessary to roll the car around the shop. It'd be one thing if it was like a control arm or some sort of suspension component that you can't move the car without it. This is duct work. You can move the car around. You can load it on the hull. You do whatever you need to do with a race car in order to, to, to make it go where you need it to go, aside from legally on the racetrack, without that part installed. So the fact that they put it on there had nothing to do with what they needed to do within the shop. And even if it was for something like a wind tunnel test, if you're going to test a aerodynamic function of the car, i.e. the duct work, you would figure that you would want the part to be in spec so your aerodynamic data was valid. This part was not in spec. The airflow would not go through and around this part like it would on a spec part that would be on the race car. So any potential data that they could get from any kind of wind tunnel testing, data modeling, or anything like that would be completely invalid for the, the real-world race car. So that's another layer of BS right there. And, oh, by the way, that part was intentionally made to look cosmetically identical to the real part. If you look really closely, you can see some differences in the way the 3D printing process laid down the material and, and whatnot. So there's a little bit of difference there, but it's the same color. It's the same shape. Mm -hmm. It's got the same mounting. Everything is the same. So if you, if you did a quick look at that part as you're moving 40 cars through tech inspection, it's not going to catch your eye because it looks right. And until you put that gauge on there and you really inspect it, that's when you're finally going to realize that it's wrong. And I think that was the intention there. They wanted to slip one by the inspectors. Whether that part itself became an advantage for the car or not, I don't know. It's not like the 14 car was fast that weekend, so they certainly didn't get the advantage maybe they wanted out of it. But it may have also been a test of how far can we push this. If we put this, this inconsequential 3D printed part on the car, can we get away with it and maybe sneak one in later somewhere else that might give us a little bit more of a benefit? They touched the hot stove and they got burned pretty bad. Interestingly enough, though, NASCAR didn't burn them as bad as they could. The one thing that NASCAR laid out in their new penalty structure that came with the Gen 7 car, for an L3 penalty, NASCAR does have the ability to remove playoff eligibility from the team. They did not do that with the number 14 car. They did deduct 25 playoff points, and they did deduct 100 regular season points, but they did not remove playoff eligibility from the number 14 car. So if Chase Briscoe is able to win a race, he is playoff eligible, albeit in a 25-point hole because of the, this penalty. So if counterfeiting a part isn't enough to get you removed from the playoffs, I'm not sure what is. But either way, this was a big, big, big – I can't even call it a mistake because it was intentional. A Big, bad move by SHR, and this is a team that has been on the ropes for several years at this point. Like Andy said, heads need to roll here, not just because of this. SHR at this point is due for a massive restructuring because right now the only thing keeping just one little hair of their head above water at that team right now is Kevin Harvick, and we know he's going away at the end of the season. And until SHR does some massive moves to right the ship, I'm afraid that the departure of Kevin Harvick will take away the last shred of competitiveness that that team has. Because as good of a driver as Chase Briscoe is, Ryan Priest is good, but he hasn't, between JTG and his time now at SHR, he's had some hot flashes here and there. But by and large, his performance in, in the 37 and the 41 has been underwhelming. Chase Briscoe has the one win, but... Again, aside from some decent runs at some short tracks and road courses, uh, the, their intermediate program is terrible, top to bottom at the, at the SHR company. So 
with the departure of Kevin Harvick, I'm really afraid that that's going to relegate them to nearly Rick Ware status in terms of their competitiveness because with the exception of the number four car, the 14, the 10, and the 37 are right there at Legacy Motor Club Rick Ware Racing levels of performance. And it's concerning to see a four-car team that just five years ago had four cars in the playoffs and competing for a championship. They are now running in the bottom quarter of the field every single week. And it's really concerning to see a team fall that hard that fast. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and be a little bit more positive than Mike here. Uh, Mike, put yours on mute so you don't laugh at me. But, um, you know, Sharon, when we first talked about this the, the other night, I said I'd try to give the benefit of the doubt a little bit anyway. I think I said I was at like 5%, 10%. With what came out with the stickers on it and everything else, it's like a half percent. Um, I do still see where there possibly could have been the intent to – Try something. If there was an improvement on it, bring it to NASCAR. But the the fact that they had the stickers on it the way it belonged and everything else, no, the the intent was to 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 try and get away with it. And they got caught and they got penalized and it was deserved. Um, and that's where what Andy Petrie was saying was, you know, if you're doing that as a pure test, try something within the shop before you go to NASCAR with it. Yeah, it's going to be identified as such. Um, the other thing, and, and Mike commented on this, is NASCAR doesn't want to ruin a team season. However, they want them to get the message. And you'll see it just as, as, we, as we did with other cases. If it continues, especially if it were to be the same team, that's going to ramp up. Uh, you know, you talked about not losing the, the playoff eligibility. Yes, that this was at the very minimum or bottom end of the possible penalty um, when it comes to that. So, you know, NASCAR's not saying, hey, we're going to come out and blow you out of the water, you know, that it's going to take you two, three years to recover just from one thing. That's not their intent. Their intent is to get them to stop. Um, but they will take that next step if, if need be. You know, uh, we talk about that with the driver suspension when it comes to things, uh, to include the most popular driver. If that's what they got to do, they're going to do it. So be leery of that. Um, as far as the team, I, yeah, uh, we've seen all teams go through this. Richard Childress Racing, uh, maybe Hendrick Motorsports, Dugan's Racing, not as bad, but uh, I think of Roush Fenway, you know, they went from having five teams when it was legal to all five in the playoffs to down to two teams and can't hardly get out of their own way. Uh, it's going to take time for them to get back right. And whether that's some house cleaning and some major personnel changes, not just because of this, but they, they haven't been going in a good direction overall, um, may need to happen. I know you're talking about that of who knows what and who should be held accountable the one thing you got to look at is it is a team uh when you talk about it they talk about it with the pit crews you have pit pit member makes a mistake on pit road it affects the race so that's one of those of you got to choose where you want to be in an organization and support what they're doing as a whole uh if not you know a driver may opt to walk away if they're saying hey i'm i'm just here driving and i'm getting held accountable and looking bad because of it a driver may have to say, hey, I, this isn't where I want to be. You know, that's all things that will be handled internally. 
but I do think they need to do some, make some changes um, and go in a different direction because, uh, yeah, they haven't been in a good direction. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I I look at the fact that they put all this effort into making a counterfeit part, and, you know, I guess my thought process is, you know, maybe maybe instead of wasting your time on something that's illegal, maybe invest your time into making the uh, correct parts go faster, you know, to make your program better. It's frustrating as a fan of that team, you know, to see this because it's like, you know, they just wasted a ton of effort and resources on an illegal part, you know, and it's like maybe invest your time wisely and you'd run better and contend for wins instead of running as poorly as they have been. So really, really frustrating season. I'll just put it that way. Mike knows because we talk about the race every week, but you hate to see things like this because as a fan, it's like it's just a huge kick in the gut, you know. So definitely hoping things get better for that team because it's definitely not good right now. Yeah, I agree uh, with everything that all of you guys have said. Uh, The only other thing that I'll add to this is I think back to uh, the old culture uh, and the way of looking at things is that teams used to uh, do one thing to kind of – kind of misdirect people so that they'd be focused on that counterfeit part, uh, let's say, and then while they're focused on that, there was really something else that was going on there uh, that maybe NASCAR missed. And NASCAR is pretty thorough in their uh, uh, R&D, their research and development breakdowns, uh, but I would say that this team is, is going to be kind of looked at very closely as time goes on. Uh, if they're going to be that bold uh, to create a counterfeit part and use it on the car, uh, knowing uh, the direction that NASCAR has given uh, from the get-go here and <clears throat> and the comments that are made about changing the culture within the garage. Um, it is a culture change, and uh, I don't know. It seems like these guys are having a tough time uh, going with this change, uh, but I agree with you, Andy. I think if they spent the same amount of time on doing something that might actually help their team um, uh, within the, the legalities of NASCAR, uh, I think that they would be much better off than uh, the time and effort that it took to put together this counterfeit piece. Uh, so there's a lot of things that don't make sense about what we saw with this. Um uh, but it, it it does make me wonder if there if that wasn't the only thing going on, uh, that there might have been something else uh, going on along with this, uh, but that this was the piece that uh, was the most egregious and and uh, needs to be addressed. Uh, so <clears throat> I feel bad for again for Chase Elliott and his team. Uh, I. I I think they should be punished. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But they've got a huge hole to climb out of. And the hole was already there. They were already trying to climb out of a hole. They just dug it a little bit deeper. And uh, they did it to themselves. And uh, and I do think that uh, uh, if I were the driver, I'd be really frustrated uh, that they put me and my Put put me in that position, 
So I see what you're saying about uh, drivers uh, maybe opting to not be part of an organization that uh, is conducting that kind of behavior. I, I doubt if that happens, but, man, I'd be really ticked off uh, if my team did that, uh, especially with as clear as message as what NASCAR has been given. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, you talk about the supposed culture shift that NASCAR has been trying to, to push with, hey, we're going to follow the rules. Um, and the other part of Kyle Busch's comments where he kind of makes that what an idiot joke, uh, he talks about how this culture change is not taking root. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but he's, he basically said that the teams are trying to play just as many games as, they, as they've always played, and they're still trying to do as much creative engineering as they possibly can to get whatever advantage that they can find. And outside of Kyle Busch's comments, I could see that being even more critical now where they have the spec car that they're supposed to run pretty much as delivered. So any little advantage they can find over their competition is even more important now because they're at so much parity because of the spec car. So this drive to find whatever competitive edge they can find, they have that much more motivation to do it because there's so little edge to be gained just within the normal course of building and setting up the race car. So as far as NASCAR getting the culture change that they want, it sounds like they're not. Uh, whether, whether that's good or bad, I, I know I have a different opinion on it than, uh, than I guess a lot of you guys do. But um, I don't think, and it sounds like Kyle Busch kind of thinks the same thing, I don't think that this culture change, at least not yet, is taking root the way that NASCAR hoped. Maybe some stiffer penalties will make it happen, but as long as we're talking about big money racing, I think there's always going to be that drive for really smart people to maybe not have the best use of their smarts, and instead of working within the boundaries of the rules to make the car go faster, they try to figure out where that gray area may or may not be to try and figure out alternative ways to make the race car go faster. So I don't think this is the last we're going to see of it. As much as NASCAR drops these penalties, I don't think it's going to deter the behavior. It just may change the course of creativity. Um, but I don't think this is the last one we're going to see. Well, I think if they continue to ramp it up and people become ineligible for the playoffs, I think that's the message that's uh, really going to sink in, I think. Uh, Jay, you get to choose the next hot topic. Well, we got an interesting one here uh, talking about crossover of fans. We got the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to meet with uh, Daytona International Speedway reps to potentially use the Speedway as a new stadium during the renovation of their existing stadium. So the Jaguars trying thinking about playing football at Daytona uh, during what is it a two year? I think it said it was a two year. Yeah. Coming weeks. Uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe I maybe I made that up. I might have made that up. Um, at it least is, for a time period while they they get a new uh, stadium built. <laughs> okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, this is interesting um, for sure. But um, you know, we've seen other sporting events utilize racetracks in the past. Not even just Daytona, but other places too. Um, in other sporting venues that have been converted for use um, for other sporting events, say a baseball field that's been converted for use for hockey, or um, I think they did football up at Bristol Motor Speedway. So this isn't, and wouldn't be the first time that we've seen this, but, you know, it could get interesting. I think, I don't know what kind of impact it would have 
on racing at the Speedway. I would ha- and Mike actually brought up a really good point the other day through discussion of, you know, this could probably be done in the infield grass area, so it wouldn't even have any impact on the racetrack. But I, I'd be curious to see if there's any conflict or not with that. You know, I don't know if there would be, but um, certainly would be um, a decent place, I think, for them to – to uh, temporarily relocate until their stadium's back up and running, um, you know, but it would be interesting, I guess, from the standpoint of late August is a NASCAR race weekend. And, and certainly that is during preseason football. And then of course, uh, end of January during the playoffs, um, there's the Rolex 24. I don't really know how that would, would work, but um, you know, but then again, the Jaguars, I guess, would just have to not make the playoffs. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But, you know, certainly good use of the uh, the racetrack if that's where they wind up relocating. Okay, Mike. So in uh, kind of in the course of, uh, of looking into this, they have done a soccer event at Daytona. And in addition to the uh, already built-in grandstands for the Speedway, they put in temporary bleachers over the front straightaway as well as over the top of Pitt Road. So it would be very disruptive. If they, if they went with that layout that they did for the soccer tournament there, it would be very disruptive to any kind of racing activity going on at the Speedway. Um, probably would be deconflicted with the major events, NASCAR for the, the two Cup Series races at Daytona as well as IMSA for the, the Rolex 24. But there's, there's activity at Daytona almost every single day. And we don't hear about most of it, but there's stuff going on there every single day. If you go out to the racetrack, you might see testing. You might see a motorcycle race. You might see a lower-tier sports car division. There's something going on at the Speedway. So this would be very disruptive for other series that use the facility. Now, this is all a money game, right? So if the Jaguars are offering more money than some lower-tier Mazda racing series, well, I guess Mazda's going to have to go find a different place to go race for two years. Um, As far as the logistics of how they would make that happen, I don't know. I can say as a fan of the Miami Hurricanes, when I went to school there, we still had the Orange Bowl, which was a short ride away. You take a train ride for about three stops, and then it was about a three-block walk over to the Orange Bowl. Well, they moved the team. They shut down the Orange Bowl. They built the, uh, the stadium for the Marlins on that property, and they forced the Miami Hurricanes to go play in the same stadium as the Dolphins, which is a 45-minute drive in good traffic, in which Miami does not have good traffic, so really more like an hour-and-a-half drive up there. And it really killed the, uh, the football program at the University of Miami because of the travel time to get to the stadium. Jacksonville is a solid two hours away from Daytona. So as convenient it was to be for the Jaguars to have somewhere to play, Daytona may not be the best facility for them in terms of getting fans to turn out for the, for the games. Better than nothing, but there's probably better alternatives to be had. This may go forward, but I would, I'm not going to say I'd be surprised if it happens, but they've got, this has got to be somewhere like plan B to plan D kind of thing if they can't find somewhere else for the, the team to play during that renovation period. The Speedway is an interesting prospect, but I really don't think it would work great from a logistics standpoint. Yeah, I'm kind of on two sides of this because I remember when they first started the renovations for the Daytona track, uh, one of the things that was part of that renovation was that they were looking at it as a multi-purpose facility. And they didn't even mention football games taking place on the infield of uh, Daytona International Speedway. So I think that's been part of the plan uh, from the beginning when they when they did all the renovations that they did uh, back when. 
but um, <clears throat> I will also say <laughs> that this does seem a little bit unlikely to me as well. When you think about the Jaguars being in Jacksonville uh, and trying to uh, conduct their business and, and uh, do their uh, football games at Daytona. Now, keep in mind, they probably still practice somewhere closer to Jacksonville, and they would probably come into Daytona just for the games. Uh, but you would think that they want to do some kind of practice session at that track, too. But you guys have got to help me out with this graphic that came along with this tweet uh, from Adam Stern. I'm trying to understand what that is, a graphic of. It almost looks like they're talking about doing more renovations there in order to accommodate this request. Um, it looks like a spaceship to me. I, I don't know. Can you tell me what that graphic is all about? Because uh, I'm not sure I that I understand the, the graphic. I, I believe that's the a picture of what they're looking for the new Jacksonville Stadium to look like, and I go based off of what – uh, Minneapolis has now for the Minnesota Vikings uh, with the new. Oh, okay. So that's the, the one that they're building. I, that's my understanding. Looking at the picture, based on like I said, what Minnesota did, I think that's a picture of what they want the new Jaguar Stadium to look like. Gotcha. Okay, I thought that was supposed to be what Daytona was supposed to look like, but I got it now. Okay, so um, yeah, I, I. I I do. I'll be a little bit surprised if this does go through, uh, because of all the reasons that you guys have brought up the disruption to the racing uh, that goes on at Daytona. I don't know if they every single day, but every weekend there's probably some kind of racing or activity of some sort that is taking place at that track. Um, but I, I. I uh, do think that they're just in talks about it at this point, so we'll have to wait and see how this story unfolds. Uh, but um, I think it was originally intended to do some kind of fa uh, football games there uh, in that uh, facility as a multi-purpose facility from the very beginning uh, when they started those re renovations a few years ago. Jay, what are your thoughts? Jay? Yeah, no, I was trying to screenshot one of the uh, Minneapolis one there um, to compare it to as far as the look. But um, okay. I, <laughs> I know I know I joke about this, but I'm a little bit more positive about it. Uh, obviously, if they're looking at Daytona, they must not have an availability at uh, Jacksonville or one that they think is a plausible one. Uh, again, Minnesota had to go to the – uh, college the, uh, where the Gophers play, I can't think of the name of that one, and it didn't hold the seating capacity that they wanted as far as fans to be able to come. So Mike talked about it. Yeah, it would be a two-hour drive um, for whether, again, I've possibly made up that two years. I have not found anything that says two years, but it says it um, right in I the think post. Minnesota. Oh, was it? Okay, well, it maybe says, I can't read that. It the racetrack as a temporary home stadium for the NFL team for two years as it renovates their their uh, facility. Oh, that's where I got it from then. All right, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was trying to remember there again what how long Minnesota did. but So that was, again, you know, you got to find an alternative. And if they feel that's one of the better ones to look at, 
I think, again, there could be some positive things from it. Um, first off, uh, the crossover again between NFL and, and racing of kind of combine that. The expansion, I guess, if you will, I know Mike was saying that the team kind of lost fans as it moved a little further away. Uh, to me, I would think there would be the possibility of, of maybe growing fans. You know, you got from Jacksonville all the way down to Miami. Well, there's fans in between there that got to try and choose between one or the other. So it may grow the fan expansion. The only thing I look at as far as a drawback, and I, seeing what, I'd have to see where and how they plan on doing it um, within the, the Daytona complex would be when they did the one at Bristol, you're talking about that being a Coliseum stadium. Anyway, you had good viewing at Daytona, depending on where you're sitting, even if they say it's right. uh, Somebody mentioned on the infield grass, you're still a good ways away um, at a different angle than you would be in a football stadium. So that would be the only drawback I see. Um, and it may not be a good, I, like I said, it may not, may hurt the fan base being that it's too far away. I was trying to look at it of the positive. It would, would build or extend it out in a range further south. But I, I like it as far as the thought process anyway. And we'll see what develops from it. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Uh, not really much to add other than it will uh, be interesting to see if this actually happens or not, and if so, what the logistics might be, but uh, something we'll keep an eye on for sure. Yep. Mike? Yeah, nothing really more to add. Same thing Andy said. It's kind of wait and see right now. I'm sticking by my I don't think it's going to happen. I'd, it wouldn't be the first time I've been proven wrong, so I guess we'll talk about it when they, when we have more news. Yeah, and I'm somewhere in the middle here because I do think I can see the possibility, uh, but I see a lot of pitfalls with it as well. So we'll see what happens. Jay? Yeah, like I said, I I don't know what they've looked at within the Jacksonville area as far as that. Um, To be able to do it there or in a closer place, uh, all I can go is based off of the, the, what Minnesota went through. And I did put up a picture share in there if you want to look at the uh, Space Age uh, U.S. Bank Center in Minneapolis, some of those pictures, yeah. Um, but we'll see. I, like I said, I, just, I think there are some benefits to it. Uh, whether or not that would pan out, I don't know. Uh, like I said, of, as, a, as a, somebody from Mississippi, Minnesota, even if they're at Daytona, it's not going to necessarily make me a Jaguars fan, but I would watch that game, you know, some of their games just to see how it plays out at Daytona. So it puts eyeballs on it. Uh, like you said, <laughs> anytime you can get attention um, is a good thing. I say most of the time. Sometimes if you get a penalty, you get attention and don't want it. But most of the time it's a good thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, with that, we're, we're uh, at that time of the show where we can uh, actually do a roundtable again today. Uh, and, Andy, we'll start with you. Uh, CB14 fan on Twitter. And, um, as always, good to be on the show. Always appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to hopefully being back for Thursday. Okay. Mike. 
It's going to be Mike underscore O on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. If the R NASCAR subreddit ever turns back on, they're down right now as a major site-wide protest on Reddit with all sorts of politics and drama involved there, which is a shame because I get some of my best scuttlebutts and rumors from our NASCAR. So hopefully they get turned back on here soon enough and uh, I can go go search the uh, the underside of the Internet to try and find the, uh, the best takes to, uh, to bring to y'all. Um, that's about it. Uh, I'm working Thursday. Are we even doing a show on Thursday? I know we're off. Uh, the, the racing is off this week. Are we doing a show on Thursday? Yeah, I was going to talk to Jay about that. We've only got the one race. It's the ARCA Berlin race. I didn't know if you guys wanted to do a Hot Topic Sound Off segment uh, and make it more about that on Thursday uh, because we're not going to have much to talk about when it comes to uh, previewing <laughs> for the upcoming weekend. Oh, or we can just drop it and not do it. We're not going to do a show Monday night because Monday night we don't have hardly anything to review. And my thought was that we're going to be doing a show on Wednesday. I'm thinking about doing it during the same time slot with the 8.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, start time, uh, and that Jay and I could do the review of that Berlin race at the same time that we do the preview of the upcoming weekend. Uh, what do you guys think? I'll, I'll have to play it by ear with my work schedule. I am working on Thursday, so I'm not sure, depending on the time and whether or not that would work either way. Okay. I could, um, I could, I could certainly do Thursday. Um, I guess it probably depends on, you know, the hot topics for the week. If there's really nothing that uh, comes out, then it might be worth it to just wait and gather more information for next week. But I guess we'll probably know a lot more as the week goes on if it's worth doing it or not. Okay, Jay, do you have a preference, sir? Yeah, I was going to say that'd be, that'd be up to you, Sharon, as far as uh, putting that putting that program on. I know we could do it as kind of a mid-season review, too, and just talk about the season, how it goes. Just do one hour. Uh, I don't know if you can get a one-hour time slot, but preview the uh, Berlin race, as you said, the only one of the NASCAR Arkham Menards, and then do a, a review of the season or talk about some of that. Um, but if we if it's not worth the value of of slot and a time, uh, that's up to you. Well, I will say this: I do have a guest uh, that is supposed to come on at nine o'clock, um, and I wish I could tell you who the guest is. Uh, one of my contacts uh, just told me that they had someone for us, uh, and they were looking for the June fifteenth date. And I gave him the June 15th date at 9 o'clock, but I have no idea who the guest is, and I keep asking, and I'm not getting any answers. So it'll be interesting to see who that is. <laughs> so okay, well, I'm game, and that um, might make a difference. Just keep it. Okay. Yeah, just keep us up to date then. Uh, you know, like I said, maybe cut it down. I know we've done it where we only do an hour, hour and a half instead of the full two hours, but just let mm-hmm. uh, let us know and. We'll do what we can to support it. Okay. Uh, We'll see what we can do there then. I've got a feeling we will go ahead and do the show. It'll be an abbreviated version of our show, so stay tuned for uh, more details on that. But just know that next week uh, the only show that we'll be doing uh, will be that Wednesday night show. Uh, Does that work for everybody? As of now, it should. It'll just depend, of course, on work, but uh, certainly if I'm off, it'll work. Okay. Yeah, same for Been me. Sure. I'll, I'll, have to, uh, I'll have to look at the work schedule. 
and I'll be I'll be on vacation, but I should be able to log on uh, as well. Um, so Wednesday afternoon would work for me. Okay. Well, I'm thinking about the same time slot, eight thirty to ten. So. All right. You want to do it because the guest we've got scheduled is for nine o'clock. Oh, I thought you were talking so about I the know, following Wednesday. I'm talking about next Wednesday, a week from this Wednesday. Okay, I thought you said you were going to do an afternoon podcast, but either way, um, oh, just let me know. Mind, never, like mind, I said, never mind. I, I'm confused. It's me. We've got a guest coming on this Thursday. Uh, right. That Wednesday, I do not have a guest scheduled. So, yeah, we could do it any time, I guess. It wouldn't have to be uh, at night, but it'll depend on everybody's availability. Okay, so we'll keep everybody posted. I can do it after 3 o'clock. I can't do it before then. That's 3 o'clock Central. Okay, like I said, I'll be be at the cabins in Minnesota, so uh, as long as I get Wi-Fi which I think I can, um, should be good to go. Okay. Uh, just keep us posted. And uh, with that, um, let's see, did I get everybody? Jay, your sign-off? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I know there's not any of the NASCAR's top level, but Big shout out um, to Jonathan Davenport for the million dollar dream there at Eldora from this past weekend. Um, and Mike Marlowe you know, had that eleventh uh, place finish. Well, and he had a good weekend. Uh, I know he picked up one of the preliminaries. Um, some great racing. I know the main event, uh, the track, kind of what they called slicked over a little bit, wasn't as exciting. But if you go back and watch the B mains and. Uh, Preliminary nights on Thursday and Friday leading into it was some great racing. We saw some different mixtures. Spencer Hughes had made all the shows but the main event, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, some great racing to watch there on the Flow Racing uh, if you want to go back and catch up. Absolutely. Uh, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our website, fanforacing.com, where we have our uh, radio player. So, uh, a uh, big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, you've got a flavor for what our schedule is going to be for next week, so watch for a podcast uh, to come out sometime on Wednesday night or sometime on Wednesday. And then um, uh, also to our Fan for Racing crew here, uh, we had a full house tonight with Salsa Gallad on the early part of the show, uh, Jay Huseman, Andy Lasky, and Mike Orzel here for our Hot Topic Sound Off. And it uh, felt like old times uh, back on a regular schedule. And and uh, we will be back this Thursday, June the 15th, uh, for our preview show, uh, although it will be probably an abbreviated version. Uh, so just be aware of that as well. So uh, we had Cole Raz on the show earlier today during the second – I'm sorry, during the third half hour, actually. And he gave us a really good interview uh, he won the Wenatchee uh, 200 uh, this uh, a couple of weeks ago in the super late model uh, series, and 
again, he gave us some really good insights, and he did tell me uh, he, 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 there's a possibility of him racing the Snowball Derby this year. Uh, he came in first. Derek, he beat Derek Thorne in that Wenatchee 200. So uh, I think that, uh, that would be a great battle between Cole Raz and uh, Derek Thorne at the Snowball Derby as well. So uh, with that, uh, I'd encourage everybody to go back and listen to uh, that interview as well. So with that, we'll see you again on Thursday night during our regular time frame uh, with an abbreviated show. So uh, it's time to say good night, guys. It's a wrap. Good night, guys. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. See you on Thursday. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.